This podcast is part of the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. Go to michigansportsandentertainment.com for more great podcasts. You know who I can do without? I can do without the people in the video store. Which ones? All of them. This is Massive Late Fee with Mike and Mark. Hey everyone, welcome back to Massive Late Fee. My name is Mark. With me as always is my co-host Mike. How you doing, Mike? Not too bad. How about yourself? Good, good. We've got a special guest today, uh, Nicholas Howe from the How Will I Die podcast. It's one of our newest podcasts on the Michigan Sports and Entertainment Podcast Network. We've had a lot of new podcasts come in. There's a Decomposition Podcast, which is a music podcast. We have a new a new Twitter account uh, at... MSC Network, which is our podcast network Twitter account. So we retweet uh, all the tweets from our different shows on our podcast network, and we promote them over there. So if you're interested in some other shows on the network, you can go to michigansportsentertainment.com. You can go to uh, MSC Network or at MSC Network on Twitter and check those out lots of good entertainment podcasts and sports podcasts as well if you're into the sports but uh, nick is from the how will i die podcast which is one of the most creative and interesting podcasts that we've come across in our searchings of the internet for some good podcasts to put on the network uh nick nick explain to the people kind of the the um the basis behind your podcast Right. Uh, yeah. And so, like you said, I'm Nicholas. Um, the idea behind it is a lot of people are thinking about death and kind of offhandedly talking about death. I've heard a lot of jokes about death recently. And I was like, I talk about it way too much to just be talking about it for myself. So I decided to make a podcast about it. And I was looking up ways that people have died over the last few hundred years. And some of them are just really funny. Uh, and so I decided to do a comedy storytelling uh, set entirely in improv um, and just kind of talk about the various ways that people died. But I wanted some kind of twist to it. So I decided to use myself as the catalyst for all the deaths. So it's an ex- exploration of the multiverse of me and all the ways that I could have died in the world. Yeah, so every episode is a different way that you could die. Exactly. Yeah, so it's it, it is it's a very interesting podcast and and like Nicholas said there's a lot of uh there's a lot of there's I I listened to I think it was your last one that was sort of not based on true stories but based on yeah. things that happened in your life. Yeah. Cuz I was thinking too about the the one there's one where a guy trips going to his mailbox and he gets impaled by a stick and then he goes to the hospital after waiting a while he's got this stick sticking out of him and yeah. he dies from exsanguination while in the MRI uh yeah. oh exsanguination is uh death from blood loss for anyone that that's wondering um but it's what that's one of my favorite words i just love the way that word sounds 
It is a good word. Writers are weird like okay. that, where we'll, we will, we just like fall in love with the sounds of different words. Yeah. But anyway, so he, and I'm thinking the entire time I'm thinking, how did the doctors, because I'm thinking that this is based on a real story. So I'm thinking, well, that's a lawsuit. How did the doctors just let someone bleed to death in an MRI? And uh, then you revealed that these were like things you were thinking of. I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. And the so the reason that he died of uh, blood loss was because I realized as I kept recording that I hadn't said that anyone stopped the blood. So I was like, <laughs> okay, it's canon now. Nobody touched the blood. It just let it keep coming. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, that's how he died. Sure. It should be pointed out. Usually Nicholas does his show with a guest. Uh, and you know, Mike and I would love to be on the show sometime. Absolutely. But um, that all this is improvised. It's not written out beforehand. It's improvised on the fly with basically just the basis of, hey, in the real life, this is kind of what happened. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, definitely check that out if you guys are interested. It's a very good show. I love listening to it. And another good addition to our podcast network. I'm very excited to be there. But we will uh, move into the news, some sad news. Obviously, we record these on Tuesday. These come out on Thursday, unless you're on the Patreon, and then you can get them Wednesday. But uh, Luke Perry uh, died after last Wednesday. He had a massive stroke. They rushed him to a Burbank hospital, and the damage was too great, so they suspended life support and all that stuff. And he ended up dying yesterday, Monday, uh, 52 years old. And it's been a devastating one for a lot of people. I think one of the reasons that this one kind of hurts so much is because he's 52, or he was 52, which is young, to die. And I don't know if he smoked. I don't know what, what kind of other like uh things that he might have been doing i know i know it wasn't drug related i know like he he wasn't a drug addict like i said i, I don't know if he smoked or not i feel like he he maybe used to but quit uh he wasn't a big drinker or anything like that in very good physical shape and just died because sometimes that just happens and i a lot of his fans that were teenagers in the 90s are closing in on that same age that he was so i think for a lot of people it's sort of just kind of a scary just another another like thing of mortality you know another reminder of our of our mortality so i think that's was kind of devastating for for now that neither of you are were either of you like big fans of 90210 nicholas i think you're probably a little younger right um, I know of the show as the uh, continuation or like, mm-hmm. sequel series of 90210. Right. I didn't really watch the original series that had the. What? Well, I, I wasn't. I wasn't really a fan. Yeah. I, mean, I watched it at first. Like I would kind of spottily catch episodes, mm-hmm. and then there was like a big episode where like this one guy like uh it was like you know almost like an issue of the week kind of show sometimes. Yeah. Was, like this one where, like this guy who, like basically was written off the show comes back for an episode and actually killed himself with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. Uh, but no, I didn't really watch it that much. Uh, yeah. Um, obviously, he was more popular amongst the ladies for for. Younger fans now, I know he was on that show Riverdale, which I also do not watch. 
but um, I know he was popular on there. But anyway, in any case, obviously a sad loss. We also lost Ted Lindsay, uh, the former Red Wing, number seven. I actually have his autograph. I met him one time. Uh, He was the, the left winger for the Detroit Red Wings through the glory days of the 1950s and early 1960s with Gordie Howe and Sid Abel, part of the production line. One of the most popular and gritty kind of NHL players that have come through this city like Gordie Howe had all the the talents and you know kind of the I mean he fought Gordie Howe fought a lot but sort of you know a little flashier and Ted Lindsay was kind of the get into the corners kind of guy and obviously in Detroit that's a very popular role a workmanlike role for uh fans so that also is a uh you know a heavy loss he obviously was a little older than Luke Perry. I think he was in his what, late 80s, Mike? Early 90s? Yeah, I think late 80s. It could be early 90s. But yeah, he was older. So, I mean, it's not as much of a surprise or shock. But all the local media have been, like, you know, posting, you know, on various social media outlets their encounters with him. And nothing but, like, the nicest stories. He sounds like uh, Terrible Ted was, like, in fact, a very nice person off the ice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's what I've, and when I met him, that's that's how it was as well. But, uh, yeah, I've only heard nice things about him. And when I met him, he was incredibly gracious. And uh, I didn't have anything for him to sign. And he went over to this thing and he grabbed a hockey puck. And he was like, I'll sign this for you. And he took, he grabbed this gold, like one of those gold felt pens and signed, uh, you know, uh, Ted Lindsay number seven to Mark uh, and everything. And, and it was uh, really cool. He was definitely a great guy. But, yeah, another another big loss there. Uh, I guess on to a little bit happier news. There's uh, going to be a reunion or like, it's so funny. It's another reboot thing. (laughs) But now musicians are getting in on it too. Everyone is going to be rebooting themselves every, you know, 20 years or something at some point. But Bush and Live are teaming up together to have a reunion a reunion tour of 16 Stone, which was the the Bush uh, album, and I think Throwing Copper was the name of the live album. So they're going to go on a uh, combined reunion tour. I think it's I think it's around 20, uh, 25 years, 25, 30 years. Uh, Probably close to I think 94 was the Bush album. Yeah, I think 90, 94, 25 years, that sounds about right. Yeah, so I, that's... Uh, that's going to happen. Do you, would you have any interest in seeing them in concert, Mike? I'm hoping I get tickets. Uh, my wife is a huge fan of uh, Bush, and everybody knows Live is my favorite band. Yeah. And actually, Our Lady Peace is opening for them as well, which my wife is also a huge fan of. Oh, they are? I didn't see. I didn't uh, read far yeah. enough into the article. Yeah, she didn't either. She's like, oh, look, our favorite bands. And I'm like, uh, you know, Our Lady Peace is opening, right? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm a huge Bush fan as well. I, I I like I'm not as big of a live fan as you are, Mike, but I'm a I'm a big fan of them I as mean, well. No, right. Yeah. But uh so Nicholas, this is probably a little before your time, right? Do you know about any like Bush songs or live songs? Um I've seen a few or I've heard a few Bush songs. That's about as far as the uh as the knowledge goes on that. No. Um 
the the album Sixteen Stone was released when I was born. So okay, yeah, I um, actually the other podcast that my wife and I do uh, goes back twenty five years, so we're in nineteen ninety four right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so that uh, obviously, like I said, that's a big one for me, and to it seems like. I think this is a better idea with bands than it is with television and movies. Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of this because I like that uh, when they do like a certain, like uh, my wife and I saw the used, they were, they did two of their albums like one day and then the next day they did the other one. Mm -hmm. I am a huge fan of the, uh, you know, touring under one album sort of, uh, you know, uh, trend that's happening these days. Yeah. And I, like I said, you know, the music it doesn't go as much out of style. I mean, for for one for one point, it's it's not a reboot in the fact that it's another band. If another band like let's say Bush dies at some point, like all the members of Bush die, you know, thirty or forty years from now, or they're way too old, and a new band that dresses and acts just like them starts playing their music. That I'd have more of a problem with, and I think that's more of a one-to-one correlation in some of these reboots, especially in the movies. I guess in the TV shows, it's still the same uh, actors and actresses, but I just think the movie, the music seems to be more timeless, and you know, going to a concert, it's it's an event. We can listen to these songs on the radio all we want, but going to the concert is much more of an event. And that's sort of what drives it. So yeah, so I'll be looking forward to that. Mike, uh, we we should all try to get tickets together, the four of us, because I think uh, both of our wives would really enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, be fun. I my, think they come uh, September eighth to Meadowbrook. Yeah, my wife loves your wife. She's always telling me we got to hang out with Mike and Alex more. So we'll try to get that done. But the other thing that's going on, like that's trending a lot on Twitter is that it's been announced that Will Smith will play Richard Williams, the father of Serena mm-hmm. and Venus Williams, in a movie about their life. And he's getting some crap about it because apparently Will Smith is not black enough to play Richard Williams. This is the most ridiculous thing in the world to me. Because, you know, like... This is getting out of hand. I like. I hate Mike. You know that I hate this political correctness stuff so much. I we don't talk about politics a lot on the show. I'll just say for everyone out there, so you know you can hate me if you want to, and if you think I'm on your side, I'm probably not as much on your side as you think. And if you think I'm against you, I'm probably not as much against you as you think. But anyway, I probably tend. For the record, I am probably against you. <laughs> I probably tend more liberal than I do more conservative, but the political correctness, it just drives me nuts. So I think it was Eddie Redmayne, when he was in that movie, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the... The Danish Girl? Yes, The Mm -hmm. Danish Girl, that was it. He got a lot of crap because he was a boy playing a transgendered person basically and they said why don't you get a transgendered person to play a transgendered actor to play this role and that comes up pretty much anytime there's someone who's transgendered that's played by someone that's not transgendered and the argument that i always make is that's not acting 
Getting the exact person that this is, is not acting. That's not the art form of acting at all. Now, if you can find a very talented transgendered actor and to, to play the role, that's fine. But also, why would you want to pigeonhole transgendered actors into just playing transgendered people? They're also skilled actors that could play a wide range of characters. So I don't, I don't get that. Then Brian Cranston got crap for playing someone who's not handicapped, as if, as if you have to be handicapped to play a handicapped person. That's not what acting is. But Gary the- Oldman paralyzed himself and got polio for the role of uh, <laughs> FDR that's, coming out next year. That's right. But but this is even this is even a step beyond because Will Smith is black. But he's not as dark of a shade of black as Richard Williams is. Therefore, they think it's terrible casting. I don't go to the movies to see the absolute truth. If I want want to know... That's called a documentary. Yeah, if I want to know Richard Williams' life, I'll watch a documentary or I'll read a book about his life. I go to the movies to be entertained. And and, and it's like, it's, it's so ridiculous. It's like, okay, so we have to find an actor that looks exactly like Richard Williams. We've got to find a black actor that's, that's just, like, it's just, it's ridiculous to me. I can't, I don't understand it. It's so stupid. To uh, be fair for his role in the uh, Muhammad Ali biopic, uh, Will Smith did knock out an elderly Joe Frazier. <laughs> I mean, he had to. <laughs> oh my god but yeah it's just this, like this kind of i mean nicholas what's your take on on stuff like this where they they complain about um actors who aren't exactly what their characters are i think everyone wants to complain about everything honestly mm-hmm. um i'm i'm kind of uh millennial thinking so sorry but there are some things that i see are wrong and like they they feel wrong and they are wrong but with stuff like uh with the danish girl with eddie redmayne that was more appropriate than having a um a male to female trans person playing that character because they are in the middle of the transition for the for the movie for the Mm -hmm. danish girl Mm -hmm. so it would be a little bit worse to specifically cast someone who identifies as a woman and then have them go back to being like their male self, uh, male previous self for the movie that, that doesn't really jive well. And as far as, as far as Will Smith not being black enough, that's horse. I, I definitely think that Will Smith's name being attached to this movie is definitely something that, uh, benefits the movie more than any other actor pretty much because mm-hmm. Will Smith is a big name. People are going to come see this Will Smith movie. Yeah. But I don't, I don't, I don't know enough about <laughs> the Williams family to be like, Oh, he's not going to do good at it. And he's just not black enough because that's, that's bullshit. Honestly, yep. he's, he's perfectly black enough to be a black man in a movie. I just, I don't, he, he I don't can know. definitely play a black man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just don't understand why he has to be, why he has to look exactly like Richard Williams. And you're not gonna yeah. you're not gonna find someone that looks like exactly like Richard Williams that's a big enough star to carry this film. Exactly, it's just not possible. If uh, there's any concern that I would have about this movie is I don't think Will Smith would even have the slightest idea what it would be like to be the parent of two talented children. 
that's true. <laughs> that's gonna be a stretch for him. But that's no, no. I'm... Act like act like Serena really is good at tennis. You're not just saying this. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why they call it acting. He's exactly. he's he's gonna have to. He's gonna have to act like it. But yeah, like uh, no, I mean, like Nicholas, I don't want you to get me wrong. There, like, if someone says something racist or or stuff like, I mean, there, I have lied, but I don't consider that political correctness. Like, I talk, right. I think about like the example that I always use is when Carrie Fisher died. Steve Martin tweeted out that uh, the I'll paraphrase it because I, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like the first time that I laid eyes on Carrie Fisher. She was the most gorgeous creature I had ever seen. I soon found out that she was smart, talented, and funny as well, because they were good friends. And and everyone shamed him so badly for commenting on her looks that he had to remove the tweet. And that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. It's like... It's ridiculous. Yeah, like, that that overtness is wild to me. I, God. Yeah, it goes people, it goes too far sometimes. Yeah, but people got to have their opinions heard, one hundred percent. Right, but I don't think that uh, I don't think we should go back to breakfast at Tiffany's with Mickey Rooney yeah. playing hey, playing a Chinese because yeah. that's horrible and offensive. Yeah, that's the good part of political correctness that we got away from that stuff. But that you know, exactly. like people, and not really. I mean, uh, in uh, what was it, the Doctor Strange movie? Uh, Tilda Swinton plays the uh, ancient one. That's true. Yeah, yeah. that that was. You, you didn't even see that one coming, did you, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I guess. Uh, and Emma Stone played that. Uh, what was it in Hawaii or something like that? She played an yeah, in Asian Aloha. American. Aloha, that's what's yeah. called, right. Yeah. Or uh, Scarlett was it? I don't know. Scarlett Johansson or one of them played uh, the main character in um, shit. What's that movie? Uh, uh, the Eagle. Ghost something. Yeah, Ghost, Ghost in the Shell. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, it's an anime. They they had to have a white character replacer. That that doesn't you know seem like we've changed that much. I, I mean, you're not doing the same impressions, thankfully. But. Right. <laughs> one time I heard Ridley Scott. I think it was Ridley Scott. Uh, I don't want to slander anyone, so I'm just going to say. I'm not sure, but I think... You could say Tony Scott. He's no longer amongst us, so he's not going to do anything. That's true. Uh, Tony Scott one time said that bridges are... No, um, I'm just joking. But uh, no, I think think it was Ridley Scott, and he said that something like, you know, I can't put a guy named Mohammed as the lead in my movie because there are no... There are no Mohammeds that move the box office numbers or or something like that. Basically, he was saying that there aren't famous Muslim American actors or or just Muslim actors that he could put in a film that would be a big star that would attract people. I would argue that I don't think star power really has as much to do with how much money a movie makes anymore than it, than it used to. Yeah. See, I, what I don't understand is why they pay actors so much to be in movies. Everybody wants to be in the movie. You don't have to pay them even a fraction of what they actually make to be in the movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, honestly. Just like, you know, we're, this pays $50,000. If you want to be in it, you're in it. If you're not, we'll find someone else. That's a good point, Mike, because, you know, and some people will argue, well, yeah, but they wouldn't be as good. But I will contend 
that for every, I don't know, uh, Sandra Bullock, there are probably a thousand. I mean, that Jay might that yeah, that might be a thousand might be a uh, you know an overstatement, but there are. There are many, 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 probably in the thousands, of talented actors and actresses that don't ever really break through, that are as mm-hmm. talented as fam- the famous ones that we know, but just for luck or timing or whatever, they don't really they don't really break through like some of the other ones do. And I think even actors would say that, that, that there are other people as talented as them that just didn't get the break. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a British actor comedian uh david mitchell who said i'm i don't deserve fame but thanks to a certain uh me being in a certain place at a certain time and the uh uh god sorry words it's okay being in a certain place at a certain time and the demographics of the population i get to be the most famous person in the room right yeah, that and that is kind of how it works out. I mean, you obviously you have to have talent, you know. Not ju- not just. I mean, I don't know. I, I have a hard time judging what I would. What, I wouldn't say that's uh, pressing it a bit, <laughs> right? But <laughs> I have uh, I have a hard time judging what's good acting and what's bad acting. But I will say it does take talent to be an actor or a director or a writer or whatever. But there are plenty of people that have, you know, just as much talent that don't ever make it through so yeah i agree with you mike there there's a lot of competition they sh- they sh- they should be uh they're ripping these people off left and right that's yeah, what i do exactly <laughs> oh man yeah i would just go in and underbid them <laughs> yeah that's all eventually you're everyone's just making scale <laughs> yeah. as so i i do performances a lot i would be perfectly fine if i made fifty thousand dollars on a movie there you go yeah see and I mean, what a movie is three months work. You're really, I mean, Samuel Jackson is probably still making you know millions of dollars a year. No, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, let's go back to the. Let's just have the studios in charge of everything, like it used to be. Maybe just do nothing but a, a net split. Because here they're actually working on getting like the accounting to be a little more transparent. If mm-hmm. the accounting were transparent and you could give everyone like a net percentage of the movie, I mean. That would probably be the most fair way to do it. Yeah. I mean, you could argue, I mean, even 1% of, you know, Schindler's List is still quite a bit of money. That's true. I mean, yeah. Schindler's List, you probably could replace every actor in that. I mean, obviously, Ray Fiennes and uh, uh, which one is Liam it? Neeson. Liam Neeson? Yeah. Or maybe they should have played the other role at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Oh. Um, but, uh, I mean,. You could have put Alan Rickman in there for either of them. It would have been equally yeah. good. You know, yeah. you could have put uh, basically anyone, and that's not to say they're not great actors. But look, you said, there's like a dearth, you know, not a dearth. There's like a plethora of talented, you know, actors that I just don't understand why you keep paying them more money. It's not like they're not going to be in the movie if you don't offer them any more than they were in the last movie. Exactly. Oh, but I guess that's the way that uh, this industry that we try to cover works. Uh, but anyway, uh, so now, what we're watching. Uh, this week, I have been watching a lot of Saturday Night Live, because that's what we're talking about. Uh, I also have been watching a little bit more of St. Elsewhere. And what was the other thing that my wife and I caught? Oh, we watched that movie, The Neighbor, or not movie, uh, the TV show, The I think it's called 
the neighbors or neighbors or my neighbor. It's the one with the guy from New Girl and Cedric. I don't know anything what you're talking about. And Cedric, oh, Cedric I, the I Entertainer. Yeah, it's Cedric the Entertainer and the guy. Cedric from the New Entertainer Girl. is, of course, an ironic nickname. Yes, we watched the first episode. Uh, I don't. I don't <laughs> recommend the show. It was pretty terrible. You lost me at Cedric the Entertainer. They, uh, yes, yeah, Hollywood lost Cedric the Entertainer. Honestly, but uh, yeah, they it's they play a oh, and it's the girl from see this thing too. I thought new. I think New Girl's funny at times. I think it's kind of mm-hmm. dumb at times too. But but I think it's it's pretty. It it gets to almost hilarious at, at certain times. But um, the uh, the other the girl that's in it, the one that plays his wife, is from Two Broke Girls, which is a terrible show. <laughs> but so yeah. they they move into a black neighborhood, and Cedric the Entertainer is thinks that they're trying to be all nice and everything, like we're not racist and stuff, and he's acting like a jerk to them on purpose. Because he he wants to point out that it's just a cover that they could be racist and they're just pretending to be nice because no one in their right mind would be nice to to him being as much of a jerk as he is. So I don't know. It's 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 weird and it sounds like a better social commentary when I explain it, but it's really just a terrible comedy. I you think. Saw... Uh, I'm sorry. I saw the trailer for it, and I was shocked that it was going on. <laughs> so, do you think uh, Satan ever regrets uh, signing that contract with Cedric the Entertainer? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one that he's trying to get out of. <laughs> Come on, he's looking. For you can live forever. Just stop doing shows. Oh, <laughs> uh, Nick, what have you been watching? Uh, recently, I've been. Uh, into into some geek stuff. Uh, Umbrella Academy came out not too long ago, mm. and everyone is talking about it. I just started watching it. It's pretty pretty solid. Um, and then also on the DC Universe app, uh, they're showing Doom Patrol, and the first few episodes of that. I think they are releasing number three, or number three just came out last week. Um, pretty good. I was surprised that in. 2019, I saw a uh, Brendan Fraser sex scene in in real life, um, but uh, it's it's actually a pretty solid TV show, and that's the best thing that I can say about it is that it's a pretty solid show. I've seen a Brendan Fraser sex scene, but it wasn't on film. <laughs> <laughs> that was back in the 90s. That's our secret, Brendan. Um. No, but uh, yeah, I've heard about the Umbrella Academy. I'm not, I don't know much about it, what it's based on or anything like that. Netflix keeps trying to make me watch it. Uh, yes. <laughs> eventually, I'll probably tune into it to see what it's all about. But is it is, is it comic book based? Uh, yeah, so the Umbrella Academy is based on a comic book that um, the lead singer of My Chemical Romance, Gerard Way, he wrote a comic book in 2003 or 2004. And it was like big on the indie scene for mm-hmm. comic books, uh, but it wasn't really super big until the last three years. It suddenly got like really popular, and Gerard Way, who's the singer, 
he started writing more for like DC uh, and his own his own uh, comics imprint. company. Yeah, yeah Didn't he actually work on Doom Patrol as well at one point? Yes, yes, he did. He wrote the uh, the most recent version of Doom Patrol. Yeah, I had read that years ago. I knew he was before he uh, started uh, the band. He was trying to work or was working as an artist for comic books. Yep. So. Oh, that's the, and I his art that. is pretty solid. That's cool. Mike, what have you been watching? I've pretty much been watching the same stuff. Uh, a lot of uh, the hot ones, uh, watching some older episodes. Love <laughs> the show. Uh, Frankenstein's Lab. I've been watching a lot of that. And then just... Um, Watching a lot of Joe Rogan clips, uh, he's had a lot of good rest guests recently. Um, been watching some of Your Mom's House, which is a uh, another podcast with uh, comedians Tom Segura <laughs> and Christina Pazinski. Just you know that kind of stuff. Sounded like a joke when you started. Yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> been watching Your Mom's yeah. House. Yeah, I don't know why they call it that. It's just it's just a weird title, but it's it's a really it's a really fun show to watch. Like if you watch, it pays off the more you watch it. There's a lot of inside jokes and stuff. It's just really entertaining. Kind of like this podcast and how we hate the Scandinavians. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. <laughs> All right. We are joined here with another uh, up and coming actor, a very hot young talent named Eric James Morris. You've seen him on uh, MacGyver. You can see him in the upcoming movie uh, next month, Pageant Material. Uh, how you doing, uh, Eric? It's good to have you here. Hey man, I'm doing great. How about you? Good, good. Things are uh, are going well here at, at Massive Late Fee. Um, I, I know you live in the Atlanta area. Did you grow up there? I did. I'm actually born and raised. I'm one of the few actors that can actually say that in this town. I meet so many people that's moved here from other areas. Uh, there's not very many of us uh, native Atlanteans. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I didn't know. I don't know exactly how it started. Uh, I know the Walking Dead films uh, in Georgia, and um, it used to be that if you wanted to get serious in the acting world, if you wanted to go the stage route, you went to New York. If you wanted to go the film and television route, you went to California. But more and more, Atlanta is becoming a hotbed of um, the entertainment industry, and there's a lot of projects there. What's it like to be kind of in the center of all that? It's uh, it's it's kind of cool to see how Atlanta's changed over the years. Uh, like you just said, a lot of people would go out west typically to chase film and that kind of thing. But Atlanta, they had uh, some pretty heavy tax credits to promote uh, filmmakers to want to film here. So that had a lot to do with the uh, with the uh, film industry wanting to come to to Atlanta. So. It, every year it's gotten more and more. It's grown a lot, and it's, uh, it's, it's neat being here with the, all these shows being filmed locally and people moving here from all over the country that are want to be entertainers, and uh, I meet people from all over when I'm on set. It's, kind of, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool. Now, do you find that that, that that provides more opportunity for your career, or is it more competition and harder to get into things? Right now, it's it's a good benefit for actors that want to get in the industry. Atlanta's a little bit of a different market. It's you know it's cheaper to live here than it is in L.A. or New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it, but you know the productions are are there's a lot going on here. A lot of professional productions, productions, and a lot of non-union 
independent small films too. So there's a lot of opportunity to get into the film. So it is a benefit. However, with all the talent from the West Coast and some other people from up in New York that come here, and I've heard this many times over that some of these guys from LA, they, they moved to Atlanta and they've gotten 10 times more auditions than they ever would have got in a year's time out in Los Angeles because mm-hmm. the competition out there is really stiff and it's so it's so saturated the market is you know everybody wants you know a lot of people think they want to be an actor and it really saturates the market it makes it tough and uh, it, it, it's a tough industry in general but but overall to answer your question I'd say yeah it's uh, it's a good place to be if you're trying to get in the industry it's a it's a great town to start and if, uh, if if a production takes you out of town, which that's happened, that sometimes that happens, and there's uh, that's great. Now, one of the the uh, first big things that you booked was a uh, spot on an episode of MacGyver, the the reboot TV series. What uh, what was it like uh, filming that and working in that kind of an environment? It's a great environment uh, when you're working on a big set like that with a lot of money uh, and, a, and a lot of uh, heavy uh, heavy talent involved. Things run a lot smoother. They're they're well uh, sorted. The shot list is way calculated. There's several cameras going at once. You have some uh, very very uh, professional directors that will direct certain episodes of the series. Uh, sometimes they come and go. Sometimes they'll keep the same director for many episodes. Sometimes it's just one. You know, it just depends. So it's cool to be on those sets. Uh, you know, it's very professional environment, like I say. And uh, yeah, I had a great time working working with those guys, and I would love to do it again. And um, it's um, it's a lot different, but it has a lot of the same similarities as if you're working with somebody that's going to film school. You know, that doesn't it's just one camera and a couple of guys with some microphones. I mean, so you have the same scenario but just on a lot larger scale with a lot more money but you really have the same kind of issues about lighting and you know of course your sound and shot angles and how to work all that stuff out in a short period of time and get it done on within a decent decent amount of time and those productions like that they have all that stuff pretty well figured out they have to because there's so much money on the line every minute costs a fortune if you spend more time than you uh, think you're going to as an actor, which between independent uh, productions and larger uh, commercial productions, which do you think you learn more uh, as an actor on? That's a good question. Uh, well, to see to see how a set should should run, uh, you know, like if you've never done acting at all and you want to get into it, you know, go be a background extra and get on some of the big productions and see how they operate and, and get to know who's who and what whose job is what and what they actually do and watch how they work. That will help you a lot. But as an actor, you're trying to, to, act, to actually act, not just as a background talent. I'd say it's just the opposite. It's better to get started on small, non-union little projects and get your feet wet and get comfortable with cameras in your face and, you know, and all that good stuff and trying to interact with another person that you've never met you've never even said hello to you know and you're looking at them in the eye and you're supposed to look at them with emotion and say whatever you need to say or do whatever you're supposed to do to make it seem realistic and uh when you walk into a professional set you that's that's not even 
a part of the equation. You're supposed to have that, you know, before you even step foot in set. So, so yeah, it's better to learn to act on smaller stuff. And then when you're ready to make the jump into some bigger productions, then you're ready. You can do what they want you to do. It's no problem. Now, would you say that, um, you learn more as an actor, uh, going to acting school, or would you say that you'd learn more getting your feet wet and actually doing, uh, different roles? You definitely need some training. Well, you know, you really need acting classes. If, Mm -hmm. If somebody wants to get in the in the industry and they think they can be an actor because it looks so easy on TV, right? You know, so everybody thinks they can do it, and then you realize it is not easy. It is very difficult, and it's you know it's just not it's 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 a learned. Everybody knows how to act in general because we all grew up how to how to how to tell stories or tell lies because sometimes you have to. It saves your life. It's you know it can you know it's just natural. So. As an actor, but to be able to do it and do it with intentions of other than just to perform as someone else and do it in front of people and do it with strangers that you've never met, it does take training. And yeah, acting that the the class environment is the best place for that, where you can get on a stage with your other classmates and do scene study and put on performances with the, the audience and get used to people looking at you and critiquing you for what you're doing. It helps tremendously. I mean, uh, and then, of course, with more, the more you do it, when you actually start working and working on productions and working with strangers and you know, the easier it gets, it's like repetition. But, yeah, I mean, from day one to where I'm at today, it's very different from how I felt back then to how I feel about it now, uh, just because I've been doing it for a while. But it's still a great thing. I love it. Uh, it's nothing I love the feeling. It's a great rush. It's a great experience. Uh, and it's great to give something back uh, to the viewer, uh, you know, so that way they, you make them feel something, rather that be whatever, you know, if it's anger or sadness or whatever you're trying to emote and make that viewer feel that. So it's, a, it's just a really cool thing. What would you say is your, your favorite role that you've uh, done so far? Hmm. My favorite role... My favorite role, I believe, is, well, it's a good question. I actually enjoy doing comedy. I'm not, a, but, you know, I'm not a comedian. I'm not a funny guy. I have to really try. And I think that's why I like to do it, because it's tough for me uh, to kind of go out on a limb and do something kind of kind of comedic. And um, And I just enjoy trying to do that. But I don't get a lot of those kind of roles because I just don't, I, you know, I just don't look like the funny guy. But I, I do get a lot of roles where I'm the uh, more of the more of the affluent, uh, so maybe a killer, uh, a little psychotic, maybe under under his skin, that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just I just have that natural look. So that that kind of character for me is very easy to do because those kind of a, that kind of ability to have that look and that it just kind of comes natural for me <laughs> as weird as that sounds, uh, but uh, it's easy for me to do that. But being comedic or trying to be a love interest or a, that kind of a dramatic piece is harder for, it's harder for me. So I guess to answer the question, I would rather be doing some funny stuff, but my go-to character is this psychotic uh the psychotic guy. <laughs> now, <laughs> so. now, speaking of that, I know you were in uh, 
uh, short film uh, rest stop for people that don't know. Uh, a lot of people that listen to the show know that I'm a huge Stephen King fan. Uh, but uh, for people that don't know, Stephen King often will option rights to uh, students in college to do student films for his uh, different short stories and things like that for a dollar. Um, he calls them dollar babies. And you were in Rest Stop, which is a uh, one uh, one from uh, just after Sunset. Uh, that's the collection that it's in. Uh, what was it like uh, working on that? And, and in that, you played not necessarily a killer, but um, someone with something something seething under the surface, kind of like you were talking about. Yeah, I tell you, that's, that's amazing that you know what that. That's cool that you know about that, um, and that, you know how it came to be. Because this is exactly the situation. Uh, the director was allowed to do to do the movie, and. He put his on. We changed it a little bit. The twi- there's a little twist in it because the story originally goes: you have a, a, a character by the name of Rick Harding, mm-hmm. and that's the guy that I play, and I, that's the the dark side of this writer. Uh, that in the in the in the original Stephen King story, he's a an author. He's a uh, he writes, and he, he he starts to become his character that he writes about, and he kind of he takes over a situation at a rest stop and. He beats up a guy that's abusing his girlfriend and that kind of thing. Something that he would never normally do himself. But what what this gentleman did, this direct, this young director, he he took the uh, story but changed it to where the author, the 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 main character, is a female uh, and a black female at that. And but her dark side is still Rick Harden, which is me. Mm-hmm. So the same storyline still happens, but he has that twist where it's actually a female writer. And not the male that was in the original Stephen King story, but uh, it was a cool experience. Um, the um, I wish the night that we shot most of those scenes where my character came into play. I wish it was better weather. Uh, it was it was pretty rough. It was very cold, <laughs> a lot of high wind, and uh, you could. It was so cold you couldn't even hardly think. It's just one of those kind of nights, and um, I the director he landed uh, two. No, three or four pages of, of dialogue in my lap that that day he forgot to give to me uh, for months prior. I mean, it happens, but right. I was oversight, but it put me in a unique position where I'm having to ask for a line every few words. And as I'm freezing to death and as I'm trying to act like I'm beating this guy with a crowbar, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was tough. <laughs> you know, So right. it was a, uh, it was a good experience. So a good learning experience. And, the footage turned out pretty pretty good. Uh, you know, if, like I said, if I could change anything, I would have I would have changed the weather that night. But that's the date they selected. They had to do it then for the location that they had, and it just is what it is. But uh, I think it's very awesome to do some of Stephen King's works. He's one of my favorite, uh, you know, filmmakers and writers. Yeah, me too. And uh, yeah, he's got some really cool stuff, man. And uh, I can't wait to see what's that Pet Cemetery. I just saw that it's coming out oh, the theater yeah. again. Yeah, yeah, I gotta go see that. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, I think that's anyhow, what we'll probably be talking about uh, on the show at some point. Oh man, I'd love to recreate that one. That'd be that'd be awesome. <laughs> so, anyhow, um, but it was a good experience, and I had a good time, you know, doing the film. Um, and the copy of it went to Stephen King himself, so maybe he got to see my mug. I don't know. Yeah, I think he watches. I know he keeps them uh, on his uh, shelf, at least from from what I've read about what he says. Um, 
What uh, now? What would be your dream scenario as far as you know uh, making it big or or your career aspirations as an actor? Would you want to uh, go more of the commercial route, get discovered in that way, more of uh, the independent route, uh, a la like uh, Parker Posey or or you know uh, something like that? Uh, what? What would be what would you envision as this is my dream scenario to get where I want to be? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, um, I guess I have a couple of ambitions in life, and um, I, you know, I also run a company, my own personal uh, business called Morris Environmental, mm-hmm. and we do waterproofing. Uh, and we're here in Atlanta and uh, it's a family business. I have two sons as well. So I guess the perfect scenario for me is for me to be able to follow my passion full time, which is an actor and, and be able to do some really cool stuff. I would love to be in a project. I, w- I would love to be in one of Clint Eastwood's projects if possible. I know, I know he's getting up in time, but it would be great if somehow I could get a small supporting role in one of his movies. He's just one of my favorite of all time. Okay. And then I, I love to work alongside McConaughey because he's one of my favorites too, as an actor. Uh, and it, you know, even if it was something small, but uh, but those guys are some of my people. I would love to be in a, in a somehow tied in the same project together. That would be really cool. But uh, I would love to be able to pr- pursue acting full time and uh, really make uh, a living off of it, if not more than a living. To you make you know. A, an abundance of money, that'd be great, but just a, just a fair living would be fine. But at the same time, I want to be able to get, have my company where it's well-established and my sons can have a future for their families off the company as well. Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of a balance, and the balance with, without the company and working for myself, I, couldn't, I could not pursue acting as often as I do uh, because if you had a job, you know, and you, there's just no way you can – pursue this industry because it's so uncontrollable it's so wishy-washy you don't know what's going to happen you don't know if you're going to get the get the job for this part or not you really to, to the last minute you know you just don't know you just need to be available all the time and that's pretty much what they ask you uh so it, this industry is crazy and it's not for everybody it's tough and um i would love to really devote all my time into it uh, and I do devote a lot of time to it. Don't get me wrong, but I have to I also manage a company too. So right. uh, it's, 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 it's a balance. And, um, you know, unfortunately many actors out there are not full-time working actors because to become a working actor is the goal for every actor. Right. And a, being a working actor means to be able to do it full-time and make a living off of doing it. Unfortunately, only a small, tiny little percentage of all the people that's in the uh, actors guild union, or that our actors in general are actually able to do that. It's just the nature of the beast because you just don't know where the next job's going to come from. You're always chasing work. So the big names like McConaughey, Cruz, and uh, Dwayne The Rock, and all those guys, they've created a franchise of their own off themselves. Uh, you know, they produce a lot of their own projects because they can. You know, so a lot of your smaller actors or even your B-list actors have a hard time making a full-time career where they, they may have to do some side work sometimes when things get a little slow, you know, or do projects that don't pay or just work with just work as on set, you know, whatever. I mean, 
but uh, but I would love to be able to become a full-time working actor. That's my goal. And the dream would be to work in, like I say, well, I'd love to work with McConaughey somewhere down the road and possibly work with a Clint Eastwood film before he goes up to the good spirit and sky. Um, now, I mentioned The Walking Dead earlier. Obviously, that film's uh, in Georgia. It takes place in Georgia, uh, Atlanta, uh, at least for part of it. Um, ha- have you seen the show? And if you have seen the show, uh, how... How upset does Andrew Lincoln, who's British, uh, how how upset does his uh, Georgia accent make you? Oh, man, I'll tell you, I've seen the show. And, you know, I used to watch it religiously when it first came out. We we would binge watch the first few seasons uh, me and my wife did. And then somewhere we just kind of gave up on that. And I haven't watched it since. Now, I did like it. And I think it's a cool show. And I think the timing of it was great. Uh, it was one of the first ones that came out that was a series, and it really caught on. But everybody, so many people have tried to recreate the zombie thing. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, kind of crazy. But, you know, their, their southern accent just sucks. I mean, I just <laughs> – I, I would love to spend just a few days with them. But, like, look, man, this is, how, this is what you're supposed to sound like. <laughs> you right. know, so, um, you know – I I uh, but I mean, I, with that said, to be British and be able to pull off what he has done, I mean, I got to give him credit where it's due. Yeah, it's then not it easy. Be, it's not easy, man. I mean, to go from that to sounding like you're from the South is uh, I couldn't imagine the the training and the amount of hours he had to put in to try to make his himself to be able to pronounce the words the way that people that are born and raised in the South do naturally, you know. Right. So. Here, I, I try to speak with a less Southern accent, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it not sound too much like a country bumpkin. But, you know, it's one of those things. It's just part of who I am. And, uh, you know, I just weighs what it is. And I would love to be able to do a British accent as well as he does a Southern accent. Let's say that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So everyone listening that thinks that, uh, you know, uh, The Walking Dead, that that's what a uh, – a, a Georgia or a you know Atlanta area accent sounds like it doesn't. It sounds like how how Eric talks. It's funny because people will get uh, you know people will get the wrong idea about uh, accents. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that people in Florida have accents too. Um, you know, and a lot of them will get. There are different varieties of Southern accents depending on the area of the South, uh, you know, there's not just one generic Southern accent and a lot of people, that's one thing that, cause I've d- done a lot of traveling. That's one thing that will annoy me is people that try to do just a generic Southern accent. It's like, no, that's, that's, you know, that's, that's more Texas or that's more Mississippi or you're doing Louisiana. You know what I mean? There's a lot of different variations, uh, as some you know, regions go. That's that. It's very, you're very, very true about that. I, um, uh... You know, I have a more of a, I don't know. I, I've been told I have kind of a Texas sound to my to my to my accent. You know, but I, I lived in Texas for a while. I don't know if that's where I kind of picked up some of the Texas talk. But you know, I lived out west of Atlanta, which is more of a uh, kind of a country area for many years. And I think that's where I developed so much of the southern accent that I have, because I've met other people that are born and raised here in Atlanta. And they don't speak with as, as much of an accent, hardly at all, compared to how mine sounds, you right. know. So, 
But then again, I've met other people that just sound just, wow, my goodness, man. This sounds super country. I mean, this is country as you can be. Uh, you know, so it really depends on the person, whether what part of the state or what part of the South in, in general, because Texas has, you know, they do have a very different kind of twang, but similar. Yeah. And then you get in Louisiana, man, you just don't know what you're going to get. I mean, I <laughs> talked to people, I was like, what are you saying? Like, I don't right. know what they're talking about. <laughs> so, like write it down so uh you know, but you're right man it just it, it varies and and unfortunately you know stereotypes go with accents but they just do and it's what tv tells you you know if you have a southern accent you must be a dumb redneck or if you have a new york's accent you must be a, a member of the mafia or something right. you know it's stuff like that but i love the actors out there that they carry their own accent and have done very well with it. You know, McConaughey's one of them. His is not as 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 much as it was when he first started. He's learned to tone it down some. Yeah. Um, and then you know uh, so your heavy hitters that are from the New York area. Uh, dang it, what's his name, man? It's on the tip of my t- De Niro. Oh, yeah. You know, he has an accent, and he's done remarkably well as an actor. And he did not change his accent. He is who he is, and I think that's great. That actors are able to do that and be appreciated for who they are uh, and where they're from, even though they're portraying another character, but they're sound. They're not having to go and change the way they sound to try to be somebody. They're just being somebody else the best that they can be them themselves. So I like that a lot. Well, uh, I want to thank you, uh, Eric, for uh, joining us today. Um, Eric James Morris, uh, like I said, Catch him uh, in pageant material that's coming out uh, next week. I know you've got a lot of uh, projects that you've uh, you've done that are are releasing, you know, somewhat soon. Where can people find you online to uh, to keep up with everything that you're doing? Yeah, first let me say on pageant material coming up. Mm-hmm. Ironically, I do play a I do play a dumb redneck. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> ironic is that. Uh, but uh, I had a good time with that role in that character. But anyhow, uh, to find me, just go to IMDb, search for Eric James Morris, my full name, and you'll find me. Uh, I'm the only one on there with that name. Or you can Google Eric James Morris. You'll find some articles about me here and there. Uh, you can go to my Facebook page, uh, which is Eric James Morris. Or if you want to hit me up at, at, on my personal page, feel free. It's just Eric Morris and the number two. Or uh, Instagram. Eric James Morris, all one word, no spaces. Yeah, I'm not on so. that Instagram. I, I talk to a lot of people that do uh, Instagram's the big one now, I, I guess. But I'm always about two steps behind when it comes to technology. <laughs> you know, I'm not a big I'm not a big Instagrammer either. I just I, I do post occasionally just to have a presence and, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, I guess I'm I just missed that age gap, I guess. I don't know. But I'm I'm pretty active on Facebook, so. Well, thank you again for joining us, uh, Eric James Morris. Check him out. Uh, pageant material. Uh, I haven't seen it. Obviously, it's not out yet. I have read the um, the synopsis. It sounds absolutely fascinating. I think this one has a chance to be, uh, you know, a, a surprise uh, for a lot of people. Um, a, a, a kid that um, his mother dies, right? And uh, he yep. fulfills one of her wishes by entering a, a boy and he's dressed as a woman uh to enter a uh like a tr- transgendered pageant right that's right he wants to be in a 
I think a high school pageant mm-hmm. and uh, his, I believe it's his stepdad and his step stepbrothers uh, or, you know, they're, they treat him kind of rough because they don't, you know, and they're a really redneck. The family is, uh, I believe the story's based in Alabama, I believe. And it's, uh, they really play on that with the characters, the, the dad and the brothers are, are uh, very Southern. And, um, and then, you know, the Southern bar where you're going to find me, my character, my name's Cecil. So I'm the guy that's hitting on her and I don't realize that it's actually a guy. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I'm kind of a sleazy bar guy just having fun with this woman that I don't realize it's even that, that I think is a woman. So, mm-hmm. but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the synopsis of the story. And it's pretty cool. I mean, it t- touches with some things that's going on in the world these days. And, uh, and it's just well done, had a big budget for a non-union production and, I think it's going to do very well. So, yeah, look for it. I, I believe you got you may see it uh, in the theater at some point. Yeah, it definitely seems timely. And uh, everyone check that uh, movie out. I'm looking forward to seeing it uh, when it comes out. Again, thanks for joining us, uh, Eric James Morris, and uh, we will talk to you later. All right. Thanks, man. You have a good night. You too. But now we will move on to our main topic of the day, which is the – comic institution that uh, has been around for 44 years at this point, Saturday Night Live. A lot of you may know that Saturday Night Live got a lot of its origin and a lot of its origin talent for sure, and I'm sure some of its attitude from the National Lampoon magazine and the Groundlings, which was part of the National Lampoon, in the late 60s, early 70s. But 1975, Lauren Michaels brings a sketch comedy show to NBC Late Night. Saturday Night Live, do you do either of you guys... Well, first, let's say, do either of you guys have a favorite era of Saturday Night Live? Oh, uh, go ahead, Nick. Um, I, so I, I got started on Saturday Night Live early in my, like, life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was so familiar with the aughts, uh, SNL, Will Ferrell era of SNL, but I've, I really grew to like the, from 20, 2009 to 2013, mm-hmm. around that section, that's really where most of my, I guess, co- comedic inspiration comes from is SNL in those years. So then we're talking like uh, Fred Armisen, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, yep. th- those uh, guys. Andy Sandberg, all the, yeah. all those boys. Sedakis yep. and stuff. Yeah. Yep. Kristen Wiig, I think was still part of that cast. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Mike, what about you? What, do you have a, a favorite era? I, it's kind of a weird, it's actually kind of like in the middle of two different eras. It's like the the time around when Nora McDonald came on the show, which I think was like 95, 96. Yeah, around there. And then maybe a little bit, uh, probably about halfway into the Will Ferrell era. That, you know, some around that time, I, I just stopped liking it as much or I stopped watching it for some reason or another. And that makes sense to me. Like a, a lot of people have talked about a lot of the creators of Saturday Night Live or people that are associated with Saturday Night Live has said usually the era that you're kind of in high school or early college tends to be people's favorite. And that does sort of fit with us 
Uh, I'm not sure about you, Nicholas, if, if that. Era no, that's is. that's exactly when I graduated high school and went okay. into college. Yeah. So, yeah. So around around the same the same uh, kind of time period in life. Uh, but, yeah, I liked I would probably I have a couple different ones, too. But that Norm Macdonald's uh, like Tim Meadows, Will Ferrell, mm-hmm. that yeah. that cast I was really into. And even a little bit later into it, into the aughts when, um, you know, like Daryl Hammond and Chris Kattan, Chris, and well, not Chris Kattan, Chris Parnell. Chris Parnell was one of my favorites. Yeah, I, I really like Chris Parnell. Yeah. Um, but I also, I also have just a, like, and I think this was because I think it was, e, was it E or Comedy Central? I think it was, I think actually it was the E Network for a while had the syndication rights to Saturday Night Live. And I used to watch the, they for some reason they played this one all the time, but the 1980 to 85 cast, which was uh, when Lauren Michaels actually wasn't really a part of it, but it was um, Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy in pretty much every single sketch. Mm-hmm. And they really carried that show for that period of time. And yeah, I, you can't really blame someone for putting Eddie Murphy in every sketch. Right, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but so I really got into that that era as well. So those would probably be my two my two ones. The so I guess we'll start at the beginning. But the seventy to seventy five era is before all of our times. Although I have seen you know a decent amount of it. But this is the original cast of Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi. Chevy Chase, uh, Jane Curtin, Garrett Morris, Lorraine Newman, and Michael O'Donohue, who was the head writer and appeared in some sketches. He was on the very first sketch, actually, with John Belushi and the late Gilda Radner. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I thought she was on the first season. I wasn't really sure. They yeah. used to play these, actually, on Comedy Central mm-hmm. quite a bit, too. They went through these eras yeah. where they play pretty much any different, like, you know, random episode of the series. Yeah, and the thing the the problem with this era to me <clears throat> is that this and maybe every era of Saturday Night Live, it's hard to tell, but especially this era, I think, is so much of its time. Like a lot of people say John Belushi was you know, depending on what age group you're in, a lot of people say John Belushi was the best Saturday Night Live cast member ever. And the people that say that remember what the world was like in 1975 yeah. and remember what comedy was like in 1975 because the comedy of this era doesn't really hold up. There are, are a few sketches here and there that are still sort of, you know, funny, but I mean, this is the era of the land shark where they're doing the, the weekend update and a shark is just at the door for some reason and that's supposed to be the height of hilarity. Uh, the the Bassmaster is another famous sketch from this time where it's just a blender where you put fish in and you can blend up your bass. I know it's like a uh, infomercials and those kind of types of commercials were just getting their start during this time period. So I know that it's a it's a play on that, but it just it doesn't hold up to me at least. Do you guys, is there anything about this era that sort of stands out as memorable to you? 
Uh, no, I, I have not laughed at any of those sketches I've seen from the earlier episodes of uh, SNL. Uh, obviously, the problem with comedy is it doesn't really age well. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. almost like math where it's constantly building on the previous foundation. So, I mean, what was revolutionary in like the mid to late 70s is just like, I mean, my children probably make jokes that are more risque than those for the most part. <laughs> yeah. And that's not, you know, necessarily an insult. It's just, you know, comedy is, you know, it evolves as culture evolves. It's really kind of like a reflection of it in a lot of ways. But yeah, like Nicholas, do you do you do you have any like memories of any of these sketches? Any any of these cast members? Uh, so I I've watched a few of like the greatest hits, and mm. not many of them came from the first like few, two or three seasons. Honestly, yep. um, you you did have like some really good uh, good performers like John Belushi. But they didn't really have the the beauty of SNL that they gained later on, and I do think that that's because it was like they were just getting started, and they needed to be able to have something that they could repeat over time, and like they did that really well. But they didn't have something that they could go above and beyond in the early seasons. Yeah, and you know the and honestly, the most memorable sketch that I can remember. Uh, from this era i only remember because of kind of how sad it is honestly (laughs) because it's john belushi playing himself as an old man saying that he's the last living member of the not ready for primetime players and he goes to the to the graveyard to like talk to all the the headstones of that have the names etched on of all the other not ready for primetime players. And, you know, he's like, oh, you all thought because of my fast lifestyle, I'd be the first to go, but, you know, I'm the last. And it's sort of him reflecting on his <laughs> life and everything. And it's so sad and ironic because obviously he was the first to die of all of them. So that's the only you, reason I remember it. You have to love that euphemism just gently tossed in there i love a fast lifestyle yeah <laughs> i'd say your lifestyle is pretty quick yeah if by fast lifestyle <laughs> you mean mounds of cocaine and heroin then yes well i guess speedball is a fast thing. <laughs> oh god <laughs> at least not entirely wrong oh man <laughs> but yeah so the next rest in peace <laughs> yeah the next era is uh, the 1982-85, like, like I said before, like we're roughly dividing this into who was the head writer. That's kind of how I'm roughly dividing these. Uh, the main head writer that sort of molds the Yeah, that makes sense. I think they definitely set the tone for the series. Yeah. So this is after Lauren Michaels left. He had been doing the show for five years. He decided he wanted a break. He went on to to produce and help write a couple movies. The Three Amigos was during this time that he wasn't uh, on here anymore. And um, he left in charge uh, Jean Domanian. Uh, I think that's... I think that's how you say her name. Or Jean Jean Domanian, maybe. Uh, But she was the producer for Saturday Night Live during this era. Uh, later, Dick Ebersol t- took over, who was one of the executives at NBC at the time. But this was, they they had lost 
pretty much all the not ready for primetime players. A lot of people left with Lauren. There were talks that Lauren was kind of forced out. He said he needed a break. Nobody really knows exactly what happened, but I know that there were some cast members and writers that picked up and left with Lauren Michaels. So either he got forced out and they left in solidarity or they thought that the show was going to tank without him. Mm-hmm. Um, but they weren't wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, uh, so the show started off real Rocky until later in the year, actually kind of towards the end of the year, they, uh, they discovered a 19 year old, uh, comedian named Eddie Murphy and decided to give him a shot at the show to be the only the second black cast member I believe after Garrett Morris um but uh yeah so he joined the show and then they got Joe Piscopo and they famously um they at one point they fired everyone except for Joe Piscopo after the 1980 season when they went to the 81-82 season, Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy were the only two not fired. Everyone yeah, I think uh, everyone Gilbert else Godfrey was part of that purge. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, no, maybe, I don't think that's right, actually. I think um, he was like, Yeah, I'm not sure. I didn't write down. I know he was only on for one season, but they did fire everybody after a season, so maybe it was 1980. Yes, yeah. But uh, they, so there were a lot of sketches that I remember from this era um, including he, uh, Eddie Murphy played Gumby, uh, famously where he would, you know, I'm Gumby, damn it. It's like dressed <laughs> up as Gumby. Uh, there was Mr. Robinson's neighborhood, which was like a Mr. Robinson's neighbor or Mr. Uh, um, Rogers. Yeah. Mr. Rogers yeah. neighborhood, like uh spinoff where he lived in like a tenement slum. Um, and uh, then the big one that they sort of, they it was uh, Buckwheat. He played Buckwheat. And yeah. they had this big thing where Buckwheat gets shot. And then the guy who shot Buckwheat gets shot. It's, it's, it's a play on the Kennedy assassination like 20 years later for some reason. <laughs> but it actually is really funny. And Eddie Murphy... I think Eddie Murphy is, if not the best, the most important, at least, cast member in Saturday Night Live history, because without Eddie Murphy, the show doesn't exist anymore. If yeah, it, yes. it really doesn't. If Eddie, at, at one point... The, yeah, go ahead. At one point, the host canceled, I don't remember who, and Eddie Murphy just took over the entire show. Just, you know, okay, I'll do it all, and he saved the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if if they hadn't let Eddie Murphy on or discovered Eddie Murphy or whatever in 1980 and he had never he just did his stand up and then did movies and had never been on Saturday Night Live, the show would have been canceled. There's just there's no doubt in my mind. So, he absolutely saved the show. And um uh, you know, Joe Piscopo who did not go on to a good career like Eddie Murphy at least did for a while, um after Saturday Night Live, if you go back and look at those episodes, he was also really good on that show for that period of time. He did a Frank Sinatra impression. There were some other, uh, you know, things that, that he famously did, but he was very funny on that show. And he was the other, the other, he wasn't as important as Eddie Murphy, but he was the other big catalyst, uh, for the show during that time period. 
And then, uh, no, you're right. Uh, yeah, okay. It's Yeah, it's in my notes. So when Dick Ebersol came in in 1981, uh, yeah, he did. He fired Gilbert Gottfried, Charles Rocket, and somebody else. Basically everyone else. And they repl- he replaced him with Robin Duke, the Canadian actress. Um, Tim uh, Kazursky, I think is his name. He's from... Probably the only thing that anyone would recognize him from is he's that little mousy guy from the Police Academy movies. Oh, he, uh, what's his name? Pipsqueak or something like that? Yeah, I, yeah, something I know like you're talking that. About. yeah, but yeah. So they replaced him with him and uh, Tony Rossetto, the most stereotypical Italian person ever <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be on Saturday Night Live. But they did not, they obviously they didn't last super long. Uh, they brought Catherine O'Hara in from. SCTV, they got some SCTV people to come in, which helped uh, prop up some of their cast. Uh, and then, so that's when Dick Ebersol kind of took over the show, and they kept, obviously, they kept Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo. Um, but yeah, so that era, I think, like I said, that's probably another one of my my favorite eras, but only because Eddie Murphy was so brilliant. It, during that era of Saturday Night Live. Yeah. And contrary to what I said earlier about comedy not aging well, his uh, white face sketch is still hilarious. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it amazing is. to watch. And there, there are a few times where you can find... I agree with you in general. I think comedy does reflect the era that it's in, and a lot of times it doesn't age well. But every once in a while, you'll get something, if it's a movie or a sketch, or you know, even at least... It's harder with a TV show, but at least some seasons of a TV show, you'll get something that, that stands the test of time like that. And is just universally funny forever. And yeah, that white, like me, I think it was called is hilarious. Yeah. Every part. I mean, it's just a perfect sketch. Uh, but then we move on to the 1985 to 1990 cast, which is when Lauren Michaels, uh, returns. And this is when we get a lot of the, Sort of, you know, like Jim Downey comes on at this point, um, or, you know, Jim Downey, like, gets a a bigger role in the show at this point. Al Franken comes back because Lauren Michaels has come back. And we get some of the people that were mainstays for a while. They, They got Randy Quaid. You know, Randy Quaid was in a season of this. Robert Downey Jr. was in a season. Anthony Michael Hall. Yep, Anthony Michael Hall and Joan Cusack. Uh, then uh, Nora Dunn and John Lovitz and Phil Hartman starts during this era as well. Yeah, they definitely calibrated their talent search at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. so many people from this era are still, you know, regularly working in like the entertainment industry. Yep. And Dana Carvey it, and Mike Myers came at the very kind of tail end of this era, the late in the late 80s, I think the 80, 89 I, season. I think at this point, maybe its reputation started to precede itself where people would like, you know, when they were younger, be like, hey, I want to be on SNL when I get older. You know, people would watch it maybe in the very earliest era, you know, or probably, you know, probably had watched it when they were in their teens and now they were, you know, in the comedy field. So they had people like, you know, actually probably actively trying to be on the show at this point. Yep. Uh, yes. Yeah, so this era, do you do you remember much about this era, Nicholas? Or do you have you seen much of this era? Uh, pre, so, gosh, uh, I, I've seen some skits from it, um, again, from, like, the, the, like, top, 
top SNL scenes of mm-hmm. like the 80s and 90s. But I don't this is the period of time where I have no clue what happened in SNL. Oh yeah, it's okay. Whatsoever. You're you're our you're our ringer for the uh the current and like, you know, a few years ago uh cast yeah. because Mike and I don't yeah. know much about that <laughs> at all. But yeah, like uh so like Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer came out during this time. Mm-hmm. Phil Hartman's uh Phil Hartman's character there. I think massive yeah, head wound Harry started around this time. Yeah, yeah this uh well you said I think you're right that uh Eddie Murphy for sure is the most important cast member ever. Uh-huh. Phil Hartman could very possibly be have been the best cast member ever. I mean he was on yeah. there for quite some time. Quite a he he played a Ronald Reagan at one point. That's all he was on the show. Yeah, for. I mean he was just a talent all around. You know he everything he's in he's he steals the scene. You know even if it's not a great scene he's still great in it. And he was so good. Like he was the perfect sketch actor because he could do pretty much anything. Like he he wasn't such a big personality that he would get pigeonholed in any one thing or any one kind of sketch. You could put him in any sketch playing any kind of role and he could do it. Yeah. He would just play like a generic like character that, you know, would just like be hilarious. You know, he's definitely one of the greatest, but he was also great in a, Unfortunately, we can't talk about him for much because he uh, left the show, and then I think everyone knows what happened to him tragically years later. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was great on news radio. Um, yep. When he's in movies, he's great. He's just completely talented, you know, hilarious guy. Probably one of the – I would say he's definitely my top three of the best cast members of SNL of all time. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And one of the sketches from, sketches from this era that I still remember from him was a, one of the commercials – and it was when Roseanne Barr was the guest host. And he, like uh, Phil Hartman, and this is the brilliance of Phil Hartman too, he played the customer who was, it was a parody of one of those commercials where he lost his credit card and he was calling customer service to see what he could do about it. So they're in, they, they switch back and forth between the two of them. They're not in the same room or anything like that, but Phil Hartman's giving the story. And then Roseanne Barr's also giving her side of the story. And his side of the story is the straight laced one you'd actually see in the commercial. And her side of the story is more of Roseanne Barr's type <laughs> of humor where yeah, I remember that sketch. It was pretty funny. It's like, she's, she's, he's like, I called her up because, uh, you know, I'd lost my credit card while I was on a trip to Seattle or something like that. And she's like, so this guy calls me up crying about, oh, I lost my credit card. What are you going to do? And like, and it just goes back and forth between those, those extremes. But the funniest, <laughs> like the funniest part about it is she goes, um, I told him, uh, hey, why don't you write all your complaints down on a little piece of paper, roll it up in uh, <laughs> in a little tube and cram it. And then they go back to Phil Hartman, and everyone's still laughing over that. And he goes, she gave me several options. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like his deadpan (laughs) delivery is so funny. (laughs) But that's like, that's uh, one of the best sketches from that era for sure. Oh, but the next cast is sort of it's we're getting towards uh, your and my uh, era, Mike. But this is the 1990 to 95 season. And Dana Carvey's still there. Phil Hartman's still there. This is when we add Jan Hooks, Victoria Jackson, 
Dennis Miller, Mike Myers is still there, Kevin Nealon joins, and this is the beginning of what will be the core of the next cast members uh, that came around around 90-91 with Chris Farley, Tim Meadows, and Chris Rock. And Adam Sandler too, right? Yeah, and yeah, Adam Sandler was a featured player in 91, uh, along with Rob Schneider and David Spade, and mm-hmm. the, then they would... Um, Obviously, in the, in, yeah, in the next era, they become full cast members. But this is another pretty strong. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of hit and miss sketches during this era. This is maybe this is maybe the most schizophrenic era, I think, of Saturday Night Live, where there's some pretty decent sketches. And then there are some sketches that just fall completely flat. But like Wayne's World, it, you know, it uh, started a little before this, but really kind of comes into its own during the beginning of this of this era. And in 92, that's when they, they actually made the movie. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this is sort of like kind of when all that stuff starts. So that's a big one. Uh, the Chris Farley you know, becoming part of the cast is obviously a big moment. Chris Farley was, uh, you know, a lot of people compared him to John Belushi and unfortunately it wasn't just in his comedy stylings. Yeah. He but, lived a fast lifestyle as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. But uh but yeah, so you know, he came on and was kind of not quite instantly a hit, but he was, you know, he was a pretty big hit right away. Um, you know, Pat the Pat sketch came around this Aqu- or Opera Man and uh Canteen Boy um the Matt Foley uh Van Down by the River stuff sort of starts here um and then they the one that a lot of people and this is like you know those commercials uh like the Budweiser like what's up you know and stuff like that people would do yeah. that all the time this is how i felt about this sketch but i can remember being a kid and people all the time going on making copies. <laughs> yeah, I was watching uh, the Mighty Ducks the other day, and there's like a complete blatant ripoff of that with one of the characters. You know, he's doing he's doing that character. Yeah, and that's oh my god, it was so like I never found that sketch funny. It was so, always so annoying to me for so many reasons. And one of the one of the weirdest things I saw as far as that sketch went was. Uh, was when the Branch Davidian compound was surrounded by the uh, ATF agents and they had the guy making copies working for Jamie (laughs) Koresh. It was so weird. See, and I always wanted, I always wanted the sketch, the sketches to turn darker. Like I always thought that like, and that was, that was kind of a highlight, but I always, when I was, whenever I was watching them, even as like, like a 12 year old kid, I was always like, this would be so much funnier because it's such like kind of lame humor. This would be so much funnier if like it turned like really dark, like, you know, like uh, <laughs> he lifts up the copy machine and he's making a copy of like someone's foot that he like had, <laughs> had cut off or something, you know, like, like I always thought that that would improve the, the sketches to contrast with kind of how, how corny it was. But uh, uh, yeah, so this era, you know, like I said, kind of, kind of hit or miss. Obviously, Phil Hartman is still killing it. Uh, this is this at the like the did did Norm Macdonald take over Weekend Update towards the end of this one? Did when he came out in '94, uh, like, did he start right away? 
I don't think it was right away. It might have been the second season. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, this era is kind of like when your uh, favorite sports team goes to the uh, championship game and loses, and then the very next one is when they win it all. Yeah, exactly, exactly, because they they were getting all the pieces together, and they were kind of like about to explode. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. Oh. And even in this era, you could see people like would start to be like in movies more often. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the core group. You know, they were you know a lot of them became movie stars. But you just like Victoria Jackson's randomly in a movie, and you know, yep, she's in the UHF movie, and then just like you know, they just kind of like just appear in movies all over the place. They're kind of like everywhere at this point. And you're adding like people like uh, I think Bob Odenkirk was a writer in this era. Yep. Conan O'Brien, which would explain a lot of the weird sketches. Conan O'Brien's sense of humor is. I, I like it a lot, but it's it's very it's very interesting. It's definitely inspired by you know the National Lampoon that sort of thing. Yep, I totally yeah totally agree with that. Um, and yeah, like Robert, I think Robert Smigel as well. I think um, around this year, as you described earlier in the SNL movie, he yep. was definitely you know on the staff. Yep, and this was you know like Jim Downey had already been around for a while and was pretty established, and he he was exerting even more control over the day-to-day kind of writing of the show at this point. And he was like, you know, really like at this point, this was kind of when everyone was like, Oh, you know, this guy's a legend. Uh, like he really had uh, fully attained his legendary status during this, this time period. But I think this is the one that this is the era that really kind of revitalized the show in the public consciousness. Like it, it had started, it might not be the best. And like you said, I think it's, it, that's a good analogy where they're kind of getting everything together and they like win the championship next season. Um, but this is, uh, this is it's when like the they... Lakers, even in spite of uh, Isaiah breaking his ankle and playing on, they still lose the Lakers. This season. <laughs> exactly. But the, but this is kind of when they like, they, they become relevant again in the consciousness of, you know, society. But this is, um, yeah, like the, in this era, this, you know, Chris Farley, and Patrick Swayze as the dueling Chippendales dancers. Um, you know, yeah. that's part of this Which era. Which might be the funniest sketch on the history of the entire show. <laughs> yeah, it's that's a great one. I also believe one of my favorite sketches is from this era, I'm almost positive, where uh, it's, it's Chris Farley again, and he plays a man uh, at a restaurant, and someone comes over and says... That they switched his coffee with. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yes, yeah, with yeah, yeah. Instant yeah. coffee, and he just destroys everything. <laughs> it's yeah, there are a lot. It's so funny. Chris Farley, another like probably top, you know, five for sure of all time uh, cast members. I mean, Absolutely. you could basically just put him on a stage and let him go, and he would just like. There's the one where he's playing a uh, person being killed in a uh, in a play. Did you, did you see remember yes, that one, Mark? Yes. Like a, a, but they they see his pairs are the are in the audience. So he's just going on for like easily five minutes, if not ten, <laughs> just like having this elaborate like death scene. <laughs> oh yeah, and Chris Farley was one of those guys that were was universally he had universal appeal. Like my yes. my mom thought he was hilarious. I thought he was hilarious. There were people younger than me that thought he was hilarious. There were grandmothers that thought he was funny. He was. It, because it was a lot of physical stuff and and simpler type of humor, not exact like not really like 
satire or political or cut, you know, like any kind of that type of humor. And obviously there's a place for that. And Saturday Night Live has done a lot of that. But his was just kind of more physical and broader and simpler and just had that kind of mass appeal. And and people just loved him. It's like a primordial sense of humor. You know, it's just you couldn't help but like laugh at what he did. He would just like rip the laughter out of you. It was just so hysterical what he would do. Absolutely. And so, yeah, so there were a lot of a lot of big sketches here. This was also the era uh, when Saturday Night Live had one of its bigger controversies when Sinead O'Connor was a music musical guest and ripped up a picture of the Pope on mm-hmm. uh, on TV. And I think Joe Pesci hosted the next week and he said something like, oh, I'd like to get my hands on Sinead O'Connor, you know, or something, because obviously he's Italian he, and Catholic. Did he? Did he tape the picture up or something like that? I, I can't remember if it was the episode right after. Or... Yeah, it was something like that. I remember he had something to say about it as a Catholic, obviously. Um, but yeah, that this was this was definitely a good era. And then we move on to the ninety-five to two thousand era, and this would have been when we were in in, uh, in high school, Mike. Uh, and this was. You know, all the people I mentioned before, um, you know, uh, like Chris Farley, I think, actually left in, in 95. <clears throat> um, so he's... Yeah, I stood around there. He's like yeah, the most, tail end of Yeah, most of 95 was completely new people, with the exception of Norm. Yeah. And uh, one other person, I don't remember who. Yeah, most Ted of the, Meadows, probably. Most of yeah, them went on, on to, uh, most of them went on to, like, Hollywood careers, basically. Yeah. Yeah, Adam Sandler like was in like for I don't even know how long he was on the show for, maybe five years, and then he just like basically went into like movie stardom directly from Yep. But then uh so they Jim Brewer starts on this show, then you get uh Will Farrell, Daryl Hammond, David Keckner is uh around for a little while, and I I love David Keckner. Obviously yeah. obviously Norm comes around, he starts doing the weekend updates. Uh, Mark McKinney's on this cast. Tim Meadows, uh, Sherry O'Terry, Molly Shannon, David Spade. Was Jay Moore on the cast, or was it right at? He was on there for two seasons, maybe, right? Yeah, I think Jay Moore was. I'm trying to think. I think Jay Moore was right. I think he was in '95. Yeah, I think it was. He was a featured player in '94, '95. I think. So like right at the tail end of right at the tail end of the last one at the beginning of this one. Sure. Um, but obviously Mark McKinney had a tie in with with uh, Lauren Michaels because Lauren Michaels produced the Kids in the Hall, which he was a part of. Uh, and he and uh, Bruce McCulloch actually wrote on SNL. I can't remember at what point, but it was like maybe a season or two. Yep. And um, Norm McDonald starts doing the Weekend Update. Uh, easily my favorite Weekend Update host. Oh, I forgot to mention back in the back in the eighties when um, when Dennis Miller started doing the Weekend Update <clears throat> before before Norm Macdonald did the Weekend Update. I did kind of like um, I did kind of like his Miller's um, Weekend Update. The whole uh, my Mike knows I do this all the time. The hey babe, <laughs> you know, thing. but I I love yeah the, I, I like I think he's a, he's funny. I like him as well. The one the one thing that I'll never forget that he did was, and this was during the time period when the ratings were really bad, and it looked like the show was probably going to get canceled. 
on Weekend Update, they said that they were doing a contest to spell Muammar Gaddafi's name correctly. <laughs> and if you could spell his name correctly, to write it, write it in, uh, you know, in, in an envelope, put it in the mail, and mail it into Saturday Night Live, and he gives the address and everything, and you won some kind of prize. And he said this offer is only good for as long as Saturday Night Live is on the air and live. And then he pauses for a second and goes, "So you might want to hurry those entrants." <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like he 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 had a very good. He wasn't as good in sketches, but he had a very good demeanor and kind of sarcastic way uh, that was perfect for uh, the weekend update. And then Norm Macdonald just took over and completely completely changed the way it could be done, and sort of showed, even though no one else has ever done it this way, showed how it should be done <laughs> because he, right. he 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 perfected it to an art form where he didn't care how many laughs it got. In fact, if a joke got, the fewer laughs the jokes got, the better it was for him, honestly. Um, <laughs> it, he, he's the only comedian outside of uh, Johnny Carson that I've ever seen be funnier when a joke doesn't work <laughs> than when the joke <laughs> does work. Because Johnny right. Carson was... Enormous. Yeah, Johnny had had one of those things where he could just somehow he could turn and make a bad joke and a bad audience reaction into big laughs. And Norm Macdonald was the same way. Yeah, Norm it just is fearless. He does not care. He'll you know say whatever joke. He'll hammer uh, O.J. Simpson for years and years. He'll, uh, <laughs> yeah, keep uh, keep using his Frank Stallone line probably to the point where it stops being funny. Then is funny because of how funny it is. He's just a yep. genius. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that OJ stuff that was that was hilarious. After just because it's so uncomfortable, that's that's part of his joke. And yeah, and it was so great too because after the day, I think it was the day after, or a couple days after OJ Simpson was acquitted in the in the murder charges, <laughs> he comes on to Weekend Update and says, "Well, it's official." Murder is now legal in the state of California. <laughs> and it's just, and you knew he was going to say something. And with all that pressure, he just comes up with the perfect line and the perfect <laughs> delivery. It's just it, brilliance. It even cost him his job eventually. That's how much he pushed on that particular yeah. Uh, subject. Yep. And I don't, I don't blame him, you know, like, uh, it's you know it, like all he was doing is telling the truth and and when you can tell the truth and make it funny it, it really it really does have a huge in, like it makes it much funnier when you're yeah, norma describes a perfect joke as the uh, setup and punchline being identical yeah exactly oh uh, but yeah so this this is a pretty a pretty big era uh, jim brewer kind of gets overlooked a little bit he's pretty good in some of these sketches um, yeah, I didn't. I didn't like a lot of his characters, but in general, I do like Jim Brewer. He's pretty funny. He's on a lot of podcasts I listen to. He's a great guest uh, by all descriptions. He's a terrific stand-up comedian. Just, I didn't care for a lot of his characters on uh, on this uh, era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, t- when we get towards the end of this era, <clears throat> the end of this era, the ones that I don't that I don't really love. I like Chris Kattan never really did anything that I found very funny. Um, on any of on any of the sketches that he was in, and Sherry O'Terry was sort of hit or miss to me. Yeah, there were some characters she did that I liked a lot, but uh, yeah, hit or miss for sure. 
But other than that, you know, you've got you got Will Ferrell, you got Daryl Hammond, uh, Tim Meadows, Tracy Morgan comes on towards the end of this era. Uh, Molly mm-hmm. Shannon was usually there were some characters she did that I didn't love either, but she was usually pretty solid in kind of any sketch sketch she was in. Uh, Colin Quinn even had uh, you know some some decent moments on the show. And uh, yeah, I don't think he ever really translated well to the show. Yeah. No, like even the, he did he did a couple sketches that that I found like I found the sketches funny and he happened to be in them, but you could tell he wasn't really like a driving force of any of the sketches. Right. Yeah, some people just uh, aren't good fits. Like uh, Dave Attell was a writer, I think, during this era around '95, and Dave yeah. Attell is hilarious, but he was only there for a season. Or- yeah, exactly. And yeah, like some people like Jim Brewer, you know, like I find Jim Brewer funny in a lot of things, but maybe, you know, he's not as suited for Saturday Night Live takes a like a pretty specific skill set uh, to kind of, you know, to to kind of fit into it. And yeah, it's really kind of because like some people will just make them seem funnier, like yep. uh, Chris Kattan, for example. Yep. Yeah. Um, and others will kind of throttle them, like Jim Brewer. I mean, Jim Brewer can't be fully Jim Brewer because it'd probably be like insanity. But I mean, you know, it's and then some people like Norm McDonald. Just it, the show is just basically giving him a spotlight to you know do his. Yeah, and like like this to me, the workman of this era would be Tim Meadows. I think uh, Tim Meadows, kind of like Daryl Hammond, or kind of like um, Phil Hartman, is another one of those guys that just fit in to pretty much anywhere you wanted to put him and 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 he would be good yeah. in a sketch. Yeah. yeah. Always funny Tim Meadows. I mean I, I am yet to see a sketch where he's not hilarious. <laughs> Obviously you probably know my favorite Tim Meadows sketch, Mike. Well, uh, you know, there could be a couple. Is it the uh <laughs> the census one or Yeah. The census takers yeah, my, that, that, my favorite that's one really to be good. And like and he kinda like Phil Hartman, he's in I don't know if you know this one, Nicholas, but uh, it's one of the many times that Christopher Walken guest hosted the show. Mm-hmm. And Tim Meadows comes in. It's around the census time. And he comes in and um, and he says that, uh, you know, he wants to fill out the census form for this guy. So he needs to ask him some questions. And it's Tim Meadows being completely straight-laced, being the straight man, which he's brilliant at. And... Christopher Walken being the crazy guy. And he goes, how many uh, people live here? And he goes, oh, that's hard to say. <laughs> here, I'll do my Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> okay. Well, it's hard to say. Um, we've got some, uh, I got some, uh, I would say maybe uh, 45. But <laughs> he's like, 45 people live in this apartment, sir? And he goes, well, you know, we've got some, there's some plants and, uh, you know, it's like, and he, he, he like lists like plants and candy bars and stuff like that. And, and his bobcat wife. Yeah. And Tim Meadows <laughs> just kind of stares at him and he goes, well, we don't really count plants or candy bars, sir. And he goes, well, then I guess it's just me. Because <laughs> I, I kind of overshot it with that 45. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like they go back and forth, uh, like doing that with him giving crazy answers and Tim Meadows being the straight man. And it is, it's one of the funnier sketches I've ever seen on the yeah, show. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. Um, there's another weird sketch with Tim Meadows, and this is odd. Because I think it was like a Matt Foley sketch where David Spade has like this inexplicably like a mesh like shirt that's like a, like a kind of like a muscle shirt that says Hawaii 1989. Uh huh. 
And then later, Tim Meadows is in a sketch wearing the exact same shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, do you like my shirt? Yeah, Hawaii, 1989. Not for sale. <laughs> I don't even remember what sketch it was. It was just such a weird thing. It just sticks out. Oh. But yeah, this was this was definitely a um this was definitely a strong a strong era. Towards the end of this era, um uh Colin Quinn and Sherry O'Terry leave. I believe Tim Meadows leaves at the uh I think he I think he leaves right at the end of this. Um and then they bring in uh they bring in a few different players. They bring in uh, Rachel Dretch comes in and Maya Rudolph comes in during this time, like to the very end of this time period. It's interesting that the eras overlap a little bit when you look at the the main cast and the featured players, because a lot of the featured players obviously end up becoming part of the main cast. Jimmy Fallon comes in, you know, towards the tail end of this time, too. Uh, with Horatio Sands. Chris Parnell comes in during this time period towards like 98, 99. Uh, and then we go into uh, the the 2000 to 2005 cast, <clears throat> which is, you know, that's when Jimmy Fallon becomes a, cast, a regular cast member. Will Ferrell's still there. Mm-hmm. Anna Gasteyer, Daryl Hammond, Chris Kattan, Tracy Morgan, Chris Parnell, Horatio Sands, and then... Uh, Rachel Dretch, Tina Fey, uh, Terry Minor, or Jerry Minor, and Maya Rudolph are um, featured players at the beginning of this, and then the next year, that's when you get uh, Seth Meyers and uh, Fred Armisen comes in, and Will Forte, and those guys. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is actually kind of interesting in this era because um, there's actually quite a big influence from another sketch comedy troupe, uh, the Upright Citizens Brigade. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam Adam McKay and Horatio Sands were both original members of the Upright Citizens Brigade, as was Amy Poehler. Um, they kind of Adam McKay and uh, Horatio Sands kind of like went separate ways, but Amy Poehler was actually on a sketch comedy show on Comedy Central called the Upright Citizens Brigade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there was like three out of five of the original members were on SNL, you know kind of at the same time, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, The Upright Systems Brigade definitely kind of um, influences this era a lot, and they, you know, they blend pretty well with um, with the, uh, you know, the other cast. Uh, McKay actually was a a writer um, during the, from 95 to 2001 uh, on Saturday Night Live. I think he became the head writer at some point, and he worked very closely with Will Ferrell and obviously went on to uh, write a lot of the Will Ferrell movies, and now he's kind of directing, like, you know, movies. I think he directed The Big Short. Yeah. And there's some other movie, like a non-Will Ferrell project that came out recently, but, you know, there's... It's, uh, yeah, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. And he uh, has a pretty, uh, you know, well-known, like, uh, feud with Jim Brewer, which seems to be mostly from Jim Brewer's side, but... Yeah. That's yeah, kind of... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, this so this this era, it kind of it, it kind, almost like the uh, you know the beginning of the '90s, like the '90 90, '95 era, 
this and it's funny because this is exactly 10 years later 2000 to 2005 this era again for me is a little of a schizophrenic era because you have will ferrell doing a lot of really fun stuff you have daryl ham uh, daryl hammond doing a lot of good stuff tracy morgan it, you know is very funny during this uh during this era as is uh, chris parnell horatio sands is pretty funny during this time too and they've got a lot of good sketches uh, from this time period. But then there's also, you know, there's just, there's some, like, Chris Catan's doing some stuff I don't really love. Uh, Anna Gasteyer, same kind of thing. And uh, I think, I'm trying to remember who's doing the weekend update during this. Oh, uh, uh, Mark? Yeah, is it Fallon? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just found out this uh, this episode's being sponsored by um, Corky Romano. So maybe we need to cut back <laughs> in the uh, Catan. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, it's, I a, guess, it's a shot by shot remake. I guess we're not above. Ta- <laughs> I guess we're not above taking Corky Romano money. <clears throat> I, I'm not. I'm certainly not. You guys want some cookies? As and as a child, that was a good movie. As an adult, I don't know what. Oh, you seen it? Yes, I, 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 I watched I, that I, as a child. It was. Uh, oh no! <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Is correct. <laughs> oh my god. But yeah, um, they, uh, I th- yeah, uh, Fallon starts doing Weekend Update at this point, and, eh, you know, they do a lot, obviously. To, to- was it with Tina Fey initially, or was he by himself at first? I think he was by himself at first, and then Tina Fey joins him in, uh, I think, around the 2001 season. Around nine yeah, eleven, yeah. it was the other disaster oh. that happened. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, she she joins them around then. But they they obviously in two thousand they do a lot of the the presidential stuff. Yeah, this was a very heavily uh, politicized era. Like there were big chunks of the show that were just entirely dedicated to. Yeah. 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 This was kind of when everyone was starting to become really interested in politics for whatever reason. I think the Daily Show probably influenced it a lot. They probably showed that you could actually get pretty big ratings, you know, especially being like a late night show on Comedy Central. Yeah. So naturally, the instinct is to uh, copy everybody else. Um, but there's, you know, as we go forward in this era, um, and I don't hate Tina Fey. I don't. I didn't love her on um, on the Weekend Update necessarily. It, it's. I don't know. I always. It, it's always hard for me to warm up to any Weekend Update people after. Norm Macdonald, but she did some sketches that were that were really funny, and a lot of the stuff that she did with Amy Poehler was funny. A lot of you know Maya mm-hmm. Maya Rudolph, it kind of to me this era is sort of besides Will Ferrell and uh, yeah, besides Will Ferrell basically because I didn't love a lot of what Jimmy Fallon did on the show, and I don't really love him as a I'm not a big Jimmy Fallon seems like a very nice guy, and I'm sure he is a very nice and lovely person. And I don't like to say a ton of stuff about him, but I'll just say his type of humor is not my type of humor. I, don't, I am also on board with that. But he seems like a really nice guy, and I'm glad he's successful because it's it's nice when nice guys are successful. But um, so I don't wish him like to fail or anything. But yeah. but he's just I don't I don't get it. I don't find him funny. But I would yeah, and he, he's obviously notorious for just ruining sketches left and right unless he's like the star of the sketch. Absolutely. But yeah, I would say aside from Will Ferrell and you know Daryl Hammond, this is kind of um, 
the the women's era as far as Saturday yeah. Night Live goes because you've got Rachel Dretch, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, and they they carried a lot of the water for. I'm a guest there too. You said right? Yeah. Earlier. Yeah. yeah, I really liked her a lot. Actually, I thought she was pretty funny. Yeah, she she was she's one of the another one of those that was um, she. She didn't do a lot of memorable characters or anything like that, mm-hmm. but she filled a lot of roles and she was really funny in a lot of sketches that she was in. But yeah, so that's you know this era is is really dominated by by the the ladies. Um, yeah, but there are a lot of brilliant like a Will Ferrell sketches during this time frame, like oh, the yeah. uh, the uh, the one where he's a doctor and the couple has come yes. to uh, <laughs> to find their, to inquire about their baby. Uh, the Toby McGuire airplane pilot sketch. Yeah, the one where he where Pierce Brosnan is a guest host and he's just like this really tyrannical boss at like a uh, travel writing magazine. Yes, yep. They're just some completely insane sketches that how they got on the air probably because Adam McKay was involved too. I mean, they're just like so brilliant. They don't belong on the show in a way. Uh, the, yeah. And I believe this is, uh, the era of the cowbell sketch too. I'm almost positive. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is because Horatio Sands and, uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon almost ruins the entire sketch by laughing. And, and I'll tell you, this is another reason why I love Chris Parnell so much is Chris Parnell keeps his shit through that entire sketch. Yes. He absolutely does, <laughs> and that's like that was like the fact that you could never get him to break, and and he pretty much always played the straight man was part of one of the reasons why I loved him so much uh, on this show. But yeah, um, yeah. So they're, they're obviously you know those sketches. I believe Robert Smigel and uh, the ambiguously gay duo that started around this time as well. Yeah, which is interesting. I didn't realize until much later that uh, Steve Carell and uh, what's, the, what's the other guy's name, Stephen Colbert, did the voice. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, that's uh, that's a fun piece of trivia too. Another fun piece of trivia is I think Stephen Colbert wrote for one month exactly on the show. It was like November nineteen ninety six. One month only, he was wrote for the show. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh but yeah. So um, yeah, I think. Uh, I'm trying to think like uh, in that. Oh, yeah. This era was also that when Ashley Simpson uh, was caught lip syncing yep. <laughs> on her uh, on her performance that sort of kind of ruined her career. But yeah, towards to the- be fair, her music also contributed to that <laughs> <laughs> towards the end of this of this era <clears throat> is when we start getting uh, finesse Mitchell and Rob Riggle, Jason Sudeikis, and Kenan Thompson, who's obviously still on the show now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so that's where, uh, that's, you know, what we get here. And Tina Fey and Amy Poehler eventually uh, do the the weekend update job together during this time period as well. Yeah, I I like them as a pair much better than Tina Fey and uh, Jimmy Fallon. Amy Poehler is for sure 100%, you know, funnier than Jimmy Fallon. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree, and I, I did, I did, I did kind of enjoy them as uh, as co hosts on that um, that thing. But then we get to, well, I think I skipped one. Yeah, there we go. Okay, and then we get to the two thousand five to two thousand ten era, uh, which is when we start to get Bill Hader, who I like a lot. I think is very funny. Um, Andy Samberg comes on. And Kristen Wiig uh, 
makes her start to around this time. We've still yep. got Fred Armisen, Rachel Dretch, Tina Fey, Will Forte, Daryl Hammond, Seth Meyers, Finesse Mitchell, Chris Parnell, Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, Horatio Sands, and Keenan Thompson. And this yeah, is... Yeah, this is... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, this is when Horatio Sands started joining uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler on we- the Weekend Update. Yeah, well, I, I watched this a little during this time, but I didn't even know he did that. Yeah, just for that one season, I believe. Yeah, this is notable for when uh, Andy Samberg, uh, Akiva Schaefer, and Yorma Tacone all joined uh, the Lonely Island sketch comedy troupe. Yeah, they're just absorbed in mass by uh, SNL. Uh, Andy Samberg had a lot more experience, supposedly doing stand up, than the rest of the group. So he was a feature player probably at first. Yeah, and uh, the other two were writers, but they uh, obviously focused a lot on the digital short sketches, which. One of the first ones that was really popular was uh, Lazy Sunday with uh, Andy Samberg and Chris Parnell. Yep. That's one then, of my favorites. And then they just they had like a slew of hits. I mean, they've done at least 100 digital shorts, you know, where they would just record something and then just present it. And, you know, obviously a very popular uh, segment of the show. They went into the movie Hot Rod, which is an almost identical ripoff of the movie Dirty Work, just not nearly <laughs> as funny. Yep. Like the exact yep. premise is identical. Yep. And uh, then they went on to do, you know, more successful things like the movie Popstar, which is, I don't think it was promoted very well, but it was a really funny movie if you ever get a chance to watch that one. I, I, I thought it was it. pretty good. Yeah, I haven't seen that one, but yeah. I will definitely Yeah, I like that it one. It's, that's, you know, if it's, the music is great in that, uh, just like a bunch of ridiculous like parts, but I, I mean, I didn't care for Hot Rod myself. Yeah, I didn't like, I did see Hot Rod, and I didn't like that one that much, but um, yeah, my, you, my, Mike and I have very similar senses of humor, so... If uh, if you think it's funny, Mike, I will definitely check it out. <laughs> but um, yeah, so this in this era, you know, we move from from those people, and then towards the end, uh, that's when we kind of get Abby Elliott and Bobby Moynihan and uh, Nassim uh, Pedrad and Jenny Slate come in. Oh, is uh, is this around when you started watching Nick, or was it a little earlier than this? Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is actually uh, with the introduction of uh, Andy and Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig. This is really where I started getting into it. Um, so, like, I I from from Go the Lonely Island was huge with the high school teens around me. So I was like very into the Lonely Island sketches. Um, and then as I started getting older and such i i started getting into the actual snl bits of it because the lonely island was their own thing technically but it was also not at all mm-hmm. yeah and then it happened to be like a very fortunate time here because youtube came out around this time so you could watch exactly. the sketches as much as you wanted to i mean yeah. it wasn't like oh did you see that sketch last week and i was all like no i didn't I'm like well sorry yeah <laughs> yeah you'll just yeah. have to hear me describe. <laughs> yeah um yeah, YouTube. And they would never do reruns other than like at Comedy Central when Mark and I were younger. Yeah, you... we would literally. There's sketch. If you miss a sketch, you probably will never see it again. Then <laughs> YouTube took away one of my best party tricks, which is <laughs> I used to. Uh, <clears throat> I used to. I would watch. I have a. I, I, my memory is not as good as it used to be, but I used to have a, a very good memory, and I would watch the Celebrity Jeopardy sketch. 
that was on the night before. And then for anyone that didn't see it or whatever, I would I was YouTube. I I would <laughs> I, I would uh, I would perform it for everybody because I would remember it. And everyone thought it was the most hilarious thing. I'd go to a party or whatever, and they'd be like, "Oh, do one of the Celebrity Jeopardies," because <laughs> they had they had it was one of my favorite sketches. Uh, you know, Norm Macdonald, it, it, you know, and uh, and Downey, you know, and they they all wrote that. And they're some of my favorite writers from the show. Um, but yes, yeah, so YouTube took that away from me. <laughs> now no one cares anymore. Oh, but uh, yeah. So there's this era is kind of when I started to stop watching the show. Uh, I I love Bill Hader. I think he's hilarious. Um, and, you know, Daryl Hammond and a lot of the Seth, Seth Meyers, I think is funny. A lot of times there's, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of people on this era that I like, but I just kind of, I don't know. I was like doing other stuff. My, my daughter was born. My, my oldest daughter was born around this time, you know, in 2005. So around the beginning of this era. So I didn't have a lot of time to watch yeah. it anymore. Um, you know, actually people kind of pop up here like uh, John Mulaney, who I know you're a big fan of, became yeah. a writer around this time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hannibal Burris, uh, the stand-up comedian, hilarious guy, uh, co-host of the Eric Andre Show. He was a writer for a season in this era. I think it was 2009. 2000. Yep. This is also around the time period when the Stefan sketches became big and, yep. you know, Bill Hader... Uh, you know, perform that, and that was one of the ones that Mulaney wrote. And one of the one of the things that I think is hilarious about those sketches is, and Bill Hader tells this story all the time, is that you know he and Mulaney would write the sketches and everything, and they'd come up with all these crazy things, and then Mulaney would change one thing, would just mm-hmm. like change change one little detail right before without Bill Hader knowing. So the first time he sees it is when he's looking at the cue cards for it. And you, he'd like crack up almost all the time. And Mulaney did that just to make him laugh. And it's, it's some of the best. Actually, John Mulaney just hosted and there's a sketch that I've been showing everybody um, that, uh, that I can tell you can, if you watch it, if you go on YouTube and look it up, it's called uh, "What's That Name?" You can, yep. you can tell the part where Mulaney rewrote something. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was watching that, and I was so ecstatic because I saw in Bill Hader's eyes that. <laughs> yep. Prepped. Mike, did you did you happen to see that sketch? Uh no. Okay, so the the premise of the sketch is that. Um, you, all you have to like, they show you somebody and you say what their name is. So Bill Hader's Bill Hader came back when Mulaney was hosted, and he uh, was playing the host of the the game show, and Mulaney was one of the contestants. And he says, he goes, okay, so for five, he's like, uh, he's like, so name this person, you know, he's like, he says, uh, John Legend is a is a star uh, is a star but his wife is a star in her own right name that person they show a picture and he goes Chrissy Teigen and she goes yeah that's right for five dollars and then he asks the girl that's on I don't know uh what that cast member's name is because she's Cecily Strong okay yeah Cecily Strong she's one of the new, newer ones and I, I don't know all their names but so he asks her a question she she answers it right then he goes back to to Mulaney and he says, okay, for $250,000. And then he brings out his friend Todd. 
and he's like, oh, hey, Todd, how's it going? And his, Todd's got his girlfriend. And she, she's like, yeah, hi, I've been his girlfriend for the past four years. What's my name? And he just kind of stares at her <laughs> and he doesn't know. So anyway, it goes on like that. <clears throat> but the part where you can tell John, John Mulaney wrote a new thing is <laughs> they're talking back and forth. And he's like, I think you're a jerk. You know, he says to the host and Bill Hader goes, well, I think you're a jerk. And, and John Mulaney says, why don't you name all your friends wives name? And he goes, oh, those guys. They don't have wives. And then you can see him look at the cue card and you can mm-hmm. see him you can see him pause and he goes, "I run with I run with with a group of problem bachelors and we call <laughs> ourselves the squad." Yeah. <laughs> and you can see that he wants to laugh so bad. <laughs> but he he does he does end up keeping it together. But knowing that that you know Mulaney does that makes that sketch even funnier. Yeah. And so that though the Stefan sketches for this era, I have seen a lot of those on YouTube or in reruns. And that's that's one of the big highlights for me because I just I love John Mulaney's humor and I love Bill Hader's humor. And they go really well together. Do you have like uh Nicholas, do you have any any uh like specific like sketches or anything from this era that you really loved? Uh um well <laughs> I really liked most of the ones from this era, but there was one. If I can refind the words that I was just reading from, <laughs> um, no, I cannot. Well, so <laughs> all right, cool. Uh, there, there was. I really liked the update uh, at this time, uh, especially when Seth Meyers took over, okay. and it was Meyers and Amy Poehler. Yeah, um, really was really fun for me. Um, but I can't think of any specific sketches at this moment. Oh, that's cool. There were a couple, which I think are from this era, but it's kind of like this time frame, which I, when I wasn't really watching it that often, they kind of, kind of blend together. Um, Seth Meyers did a sketch where he hosted a show called Pranksters with, uh, Christopher Walken. Was yes. 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 <laughs> then he did another one that was the exact same thing, which, you know, it was like the exact same joke, but the first one was really hilarious. Then um, there was one where uh, Seth Meyers and Amy Poehler played like these junior detectives. They were trying to solve a grisly murder from a substitute mm-hmm. teacher. <laughs> I've never seen that one, but that sounds, oh, it, that sounds hilarious. Because like, he, she's like his bratty little sister. They talk about how they got there on their bikes and stuff. And, like, <laughs> she was a whore. Like, he's like, she was murdered. Oh my god! You can find it. I, I I should see that one again. It's a really really solid sketch. <laughs> well, prank you, you you're my hero. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Uh, so then we move into the 2010 to 2015 era, and that is the you know Fred Armisen, Abby Elliott, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, Bobby Moynihan, Nassim Parade, uh, Andy Samberg, Sadakis, Keenan Thompson, Kristen Wiig. Pretty, I mean, if you look at, I, I don't, I'm probably not as huge of a fan of all these people as a lot of people are, but they're big names in comedy. I mean, it's a big yeah. name cast. And then you, you know, you have Vanessa Bayer, um, Paul Britton, Taryn uh, Killam comes on at this point, Kate McKinnon, who's, uh, you know, um, in 2012, who's, you know, a, a, is a big star now too, and Jay Farrow. They uh they all come on around around this time. Uh, you get um, 
Tim Robinson too uh, mm-hmm. comes in towards towards the end of this era as well but, for a very short amount of time too. Yeah, which was well, it's really sad, but he I I really liked Tim Robinson. I thought he was going to be replacing because uh, Bobby Moynihan had been on for a good amount of time mm-hmm. and Tim was set to kind of replace him. And then Tim left and Bobby stayed. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, this, uh, so what now, Mike and I are not super familiar with this, um, you know, towards the very end of this era, obviously you get Michael Che, Pete Davidson, Mm -hmm. Leslie Jones, Colin Jost, uh, you know, a lot of the people that are the mainstays of the cast now. What, um, like, give us kind of a, uh, like an idea about this, this era of, um, Saturday Night Live. So at the beginning of this era, it was really uh, Fred Armisen, Bill Hader, Seth Meyers, and Andy Sandberg, mm-hmm. who were like the top tier, I guess, of the show. And then Chris and Wiggs came in, kind of, kind of swooping it, uh, and she was in almost everything, right, for for a solid amount of time. And then uh, some some changes were made, where like. Um, Bobby, uh, Jay Farrow joined, um, and they were doing a lot more character work at, at a certain point and not as much like, uh, I guess, original ideas. It was more like these people all do impressions. We're going to really push on that more than we normally do. Okay. Yeah, Jay um, Farrow, too, was a, was a solution to a very uncomfortable situation where uh, yeah. Fred Armisen was uh, playing Barack Obama. Yes, oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. As a callback to our earlier Yeah, exactly. Fred Armisen, yeah. for the record, is not black enough to play Barack Obama. Yes. Yeah, I'll, def- no, I'll definitely not. agree with that. Yeah, that's sort of... That I mean, it is sort of a no pun intended, but it is sort of a black eye on the show <laughs> that they don't, they didn't have like the only black guy they had was Keenan Thompson, who couldn't mm-hmm. do Barack Obama. Um, so yeah, that was uh, yeah, that was definitely an uncomfortable yeah. situation. To, to his credit, though, he's not simply just you know like a token like you know performer. He's he's a very talented impressionist. I don't know if you've oh, heard yeah. a lot of his stuff. Absolutely. But, like yeah, you're hearing him on different like radio shows and stuff. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I haven't heard his stand up. He's hilarious as far as impressions go. The ones yeah, I've heard absolutely. the most from him are Eddie Murphy and Barack Obama, and they're both spot on. Yeah, Jay Z. His Jay Z is really good too. Oh yeah, that's right. I have seen mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's on the hot ones. I need to watch that episode. Oh yeah, I should. Yeah. I should. Well, I didn't. Well, I wasn't aware he did one. I, I cause there's so many episodes I haven't seen yet. But yeah, I, I need to watch that one too. Oh, but did you, so did you notice a big change, um, towards the end of this season or the end of this era, when uh, Michael Che and and Pete Davidson and Colin Jost kind? I mean, at this point, they're still just featured players. But, you know, mm-hmm. they kind of come in and Leslie Jones comes in. Did that, you think that injected sort of like new life into the cast? Well, so right before that happened, they had so many new people coming on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, w- it was honestly very, very shocking uh, watching it. Like I'm looking through the list of the cast and the features. Mm-hmm. There's at one point like seven or eight cast members and then seven or eight feature members, which is 
absolutely wild to me. Oh yeah, that's um, a big cast. Yeah, but I even with like the wild amount of people, there really wasn't that many people being shown, which is why uh, the next season. So that that was in the 2013, 2014 season when all of those people came in. Um, in the next season, they lost like half of those people because okay. it was just so many people and not enough for Ooh. getting any screen time at all. And then um, Cecily Strong, as uh, as Seth was leaving, Cecily was taking over as Weekend Update host. Oh, I didn't know she did it. Yeah, see, I haven't for, watched a lot of this at all. Yep. She was, she was co-anchor for a few weeks, and then she was replaced by Jost. Okay. Yep. Yeah, I was aware that Jost and Chi do it together, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, for for a very, very short amount of time. Um, and then that was also at the end of this uh, section was when there was the entire um, thing about uh, Zashir Zameda. Mm-hmm. Zahir Zameda? I don't know how to say her name, sorry. Um, she was the only uh, female black cast member. Okay. And so they did the whole sketch about... Uh, 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 there was Kerry Washington and her, and they were both playing as many black women characters as possible in one sketch. <laughs> I think it was a, uh, I think it was an opening, uh, a cold open. But it, so many people were so mad about it that they like when they did that. Uh, someone else joined in that season. I think that was around the time that Leslie Jones joined in. Yeah, probably. Yep. Yes, it was. But yeah. Uh, why were they mad that they were playing? Because they were mad just at the idea of the sketch? It Well, no. It was... Um, so there was a lot of, like, black women coming into, like, news stories and stuff. And so when they were doing, like, parodies on the news, there was only one person playing all of those roles. Okay. And she was very specifically the token black girl of the whole group. Okay, so people were mad that there weren't more black women on the cast. Yeah, basically. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. The Saturday Night Live, Saturday Night Live is it's done better recently, but they've yes. they've sort of had a problem with not having a lot of black representation, especially when you consider how many really good black comedians have been out there just mm-hmm. doing different things. Then you know. I'm, you know, I, I can't say that Lauren Michaels is racist or, or anything like that. I'm sure that's not the case. Um, I don't know what what is the cause of it, whether it's that not as many black people audition or right. or what. I, I don't know, but it's I definitely not it's a, a talent issue. I imagine it's a bit of an echo chamber, you know, like you'll have people hiring their friends, you know, and then their friends. And maybe yeah. it's the yeah. fact that, you know. The majority of the people were, you know, white people. Their friends, you know, are probably a lot of white people as well, and that sort of things. I mean, yeah. but some of the uh, African American like comedians on the show are just like forces of nature. Tracy Morgan, a force of nature. He's yes. just like Chris Farley, but you know, obviously not at the uh, drug level, as far as you know. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Leslie Jones is also just like she's just someone who you're just compelled to watch whenever she's on there. Yes, yeah. Keenan selling factor yeah and keenan thompson is just very very solid uh, i don't know if his 
these sketches fall into this error, but he's a, he does a reoccurring sketch called Black Jeopardy. Oh my God, it's the funniest sketch yes, I've ever so seen. it's so good. It's it's a perfect sketch. He's a great host on it. The jokes are hilarious. They have these like mock ads that are just like perfectly, you know, uh, um, perfect for the sketch. It's it's a great sketch. Yeah, after you told me about that, Mike, I went and watched some of the Black Jeopardy uh, skits that are on YouTube, and you're right, they are hilarious. Yeah, and he's 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 great in them. Like the uh, the Tom Hanks one, especially the, the so Tom good. Hanks one is so good. He's, you know, it's so funny, too, because he's another guy. I think every era kind of needs their Phil Hartman. And I would say that Kenan Thompson is the Phil Hartman of this era, where it's a yeah, guy. I think he, he might be the longest cast member yes. uh, you know, of all time. He or Horatio Sands, I think, was close. Uh, it's Kenan and then uh, Daryl Hammond, actually, is the second Okay, yeah, that makes him. sense. Yeah, yeah, and and he's he's another one that you can just put anywhere. Like you can put Keenan Thompson. I think has a little more where like he has established characters. So mm-hmm. you know he in in a way like he's he's Phil Hartman, but also has I, mean, I guess Phil Hartman did too because Phil Hartman had the the unfrozen caveman lawyer and the you know a couple of the other ones, but um. But yeah, like he's that that's that's the role that that I see him in is you can put Keenan Thompson in any sketch and he's going to be funny. He's going to help yeah. make any sketch that you put him in work. Yeah, there's always like a journeyman on each, uh, you know, era. He's certainly the most uh the current version of that. Yeah. And it's funny he, he I don't really ever see him in anything other than SNL. I don't see him in movies or like, you know, TV shows. He just seems to be perfectly content with what he's doing. He is actually, so not to like get away from SNL, but he is serving as executive producer of the reboot, talking about reboots again, the reboot of the All That TV show on Nickelodeon. Okay, that makes sense. I know he was involved with Nickelodeon yeah. at a very young age. He's actually in the Mighty Ducks part two. That might be his first yep. role. Yeah. Uh, he, he got his start on Nickelodeon on, I believe it was All That. Or yeah, or the one, one of those Kim shows. Kel, yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm too yeah. old to know any. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was after our time of watching Nickelodeon. <laughs> I would like to say for the record, though, that the uh, knuckle puck is bullshit. If it really worked, <laughs> professionals would be doing it constantly. <laughs> I agree. And that flying V, they they'd be offsides <laughs> all the time. Yeah. yeah. What's funny is I think the uh, the professional team, the Mighty Ducks, have actually done that on occasion, just you know as reference to the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh. But anyway, so we go into the last era of Saturday Night Live, which is 2015 till now. Colin Jost and Michael uh, Che, I believe, are still head writers. Yeah. There's some that that kind of um, you know go back and forth. This era is a little bit influenced by a a online uh, channel that I yes. watch sometimes called College Humor uh, because yep. they get uh, a few of their writers, including... Streeter uh, Seidel yep, Streeter, is one of the big ones. Yep, Streeter Seidel comes over at this point. So does... Um, why can't I remember her name? She was, uh, she was on College Humor a lot too, and I liked her... Sarah Schneider, I think that's her yes. name. Yep. So Sarah Schneider comes over, and she's a big part of the uh, the writing team at this point, too. So, you know, they inject a little bit more youth online kind of 
uh, mentality into the show in during this era. Um, yeah. This is, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Michael Che and Pete Davidson, Leslie Jones, um, uh, Colin Jost, Vanessa Bayer, uh, Kate McKinnon, who I like. This is Taryn Killam, too. This, what I know about this era mostly is Kate McKinnon doing a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, yep. Taryn Killam and uh, the Colin Jost and, and Michael uh, Che. And Leslie Jones, uh, you know, Leslie Jones just, like, killing it, basically. Um, and that's that gets us to, you know, today with uh, some people I have never heard of in my life. But uh, Chris Red, Ego Nadoyam, Heidi Gardner, Melissa, <clears throat> I have a weird last name. It looks like, wait, maybe it's Spanish. For a second, it looked almost like, like, uh, Vill- yeah. I thought it was Scandinavian for a second, Mike. I was going to get mad. <laughs> but, uh, it, it's Ke- Via Senor. <laughs> Keenan Thompson, Cicely Strong, uh, Kyle Mooney, who I, I do kind of recognize, uh, Alex Moffat. Yeah, Kyle Mooney was on Norm McDonald's sports show. That's why I yeah. recognize him. Yep. He uh, was his nephew, I think. Or, yeah, his nephew. The, the great Pete Davidson, that, uh, who was, um, uh, engaged to uh, Ariana Grande. Yeah, I was gonna say some singer, yeah. and then they broke up, and then she wrote a song about it, and then he tweeted out that he might be suicidal, and then he was okay. And the last I looked, I think it was today or yesterday, he was making out with an actress at a basketball game. Yeah. Um, so do you find Jameson funny, Nick? So. Okay. I, that sounds I, like a no. It sounds like a qualified yeah. no. Maybe it's just Remember me, that he might be listening and he could be suicidal. He he's a great dude. Like he's he's funny in most circumstances. The worst thing about him though is as much as everyone gives like Fallon and Sands flack for breaking all the time, mm-hmm. I have seen maybe two sketches that Pete Davidson has been in that he has not broken on like on camera and i can only assume what he's doing off camera yeah i i I personally just i I just don't get it i guess i don't find him especially funny um maybe it's just a generational thing i'm just i'm just perplexed is what it is if you're listening pete uh sorry i don't i assume that he likes to laugh a lot because um i know he laughs a lot about his dad dying in the world trade center Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard him talk his about that. The fireman. I've heard him make a lot of jokes about that. But well, wasn't he like a cast member, like age like twenty or something? Which I mean, yeah. I I just don't see these. Like, oh my god, we got to get this guy. You know. I think they were definitely going for a younger uh, person because everyone at that like before Pete Davidson was on the show, everyone was uh, like twenty seven and older. And it wasn't appealing to like my demographic. Okay, gotcha. Anymore, but but he doesn't appeal to you. <laughs> well, he doesn't appeal to me. I'm sure he like he appeals to those kids who like listen to the trap rap music and all that fun stuff. I don't even know what that but is. I, <laughs> <laughs> I feel so old. It's like there was a Family Guy, uh, 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 Family Guy like part or whatever segment one time flashback or whatever the hell you want to call it where he they were oh um, that one 
Yeah, exactly. No, they. <laughs> it was like, um, hey, it's the uh, Kids' Choice Awards on Nickelodeon or whatever network has it on. And it's yeah. like with stars that you know, like, um, I don't know, Hannah Montana. They name a couple <laughs> big ones that you might have heard of. And then they start just making up names. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and that's how I feel now when we talk about, like younger performers and stuff like that like i don't know you just you have i mean mike mike knows you have a couple kids and you start you just get trapped you know and you you don't pay attention to things that are going on outside as much as as you used to and just all of a sudden it's like i'm reading the list of these cast members and i'm like ego is that even like ego nevoidum is that a name or is that like is that a disease that you like is that a a tapeworm (laughs) like a breed that might be in your stomach it's just like i i don't i don't know any of these people yeah well so very fun thing for her is that she was specifically hired as uh as a black woman actress because that's a girl the show ego ego is a girl's name that that is a girl yeah well how do you say her name ego i like the nwo (laughs) ego Nwotum? Nwotum, okay. I think. Okay. I, I think the N is like half silent. Okay. Nwotum? Ego. Mark, uh, uh, explain to the folks at home who uh, Ego Nwotum is. <laughs> um, so she, she <laughs> is... <laughs> she, when I saw her in the opening title, like, cards, mm-hmm. uh, like, in the featured players, I thought it was this year's Zameda. Because she looks exactly like her, and oh. she acts exactly like her. But oh. the sheer wasn't in last season because she got... Uh, I think she retired herself. I don't think she got fired along with all the other guys that did get fired. Like, uh, I think it was Jay Farrow and um, uh, Taryn Killen got fired. Oh, wow. Jay Farrow got fired? Yes. Yep. Oh, wow. Her name is short for Ego Bumma. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't I don't understand. But she uh I know that she went to Eastern Technical High School in Essex, Maryland. Nice. <laughs> Wikipedia told me that. I'm, I'm she can uh, fix your two-stroke motors if you uh need it done. <laughs> oh, she had a three episode arc on two broke girls. Oh wow. Apparently. So um if that tells you anything you want to know about her comedy jobs. No, I'm sure I'm sure she's fine. I've I've never heard of her, but I'm sure she's fine. But I mean there there are other people that have normal names that I've never I've never heard of either, like Heidi Gardner or Chris she, Red. Heidi Gardner has taken over as so the this this section of SNL has been extremely female heavy. Okay. Like a lot of their skits do not have men in them because they're mainly like Kate McKinnon, Cecily Strong and A.D. Bryant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Beck Bennett and Kyle Mooney have really been jumping in. And then uh, Mikey Day and Alex Moffat also m- m- in the last year and a half, two years, they've been really like full force on them. Um, but Heidi Gardner, even though she's only a featured player and has been on the show for less than a year, She's been in every single episode for multiple uh, multiple times okay. in each episode, which is crazy when you see that like 
someone like Melissa Villasenor doesn't get barely any screen time. And she's an amazing actress. I'm not saying Heidi Gardner isn't either. She's phenomenal. But Melissa Villasenor, Senor, mm-hmm. um, she does impressions extremely well. Uh, like they just had a on maybe this last one or the one two weeks ago, she did a on the weekend update a joke about uh, her Lady Gaga impression, mm-hmm. which was amazing and almost entirely perfect. Uh, but she, that got a whole bunch of flack from uh, viewers of SNL because that was the same episode as the black history month episode okay um and those two things really got people up in arms because first of all the black history month skit where alex and kyle take over because they're two white guys talking about like they interrupt the black cast members and talk about uh like all the famous black people that have uh been in entertainment and made achievements and they did that for the uh for women's month last year so there's there is like a uh precedent a precedent for it but people were up in arms about that and then followed it up by the weekend update addressing the fact that some people who are amazing at doing characters or doing specific people in uh impressions of people aren't getting any screen time but other people are and yeah it, it it was that episode of snl is the one that i've heard talked about in the most anger in a while oh. <clears throat> now melissa villa senor <clears throat> her last name t- translates to houseboy basically <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Homeboy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, is that, is that a real name? Is it? Is it like a stage name? No, that's that's her actual name. That's, her, well, that's just that's a her weird name. coincidence. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so now, would you say that this era of Saturday Night Live is as popular with young people as it used to be? Is the show losing its popularity? What do you think? So I think that. It, it has been losing popularity in the last few years. Mm-hmm. I especially think that... So it's it's Saturday Night Live. Like, that's, that's its thing, is it's live. But a lot of the time, there's so many digital sketches. Mm-hmm. Um, in just this last week, there was two or three out of the 12 or... Not 12, Jesus. Out of, the, like, eight or nine that they did, there was two or three that were digital. And then almost every episode, there's like a musical section, which is typically fine if it's spaced out. But if it's every episode, it gets to be kind of uh, just like too much for what the show is supposed to be, I guess, because those are also digital and it's just so forced. What's interesting is uh, Lorne uh, Michaels insists that it's not a comedy show. It's more of a variety show, which for some areas it really shows. I mean, like the very first episode, I think Andy Kaufman was on there and yes, doing his, yes. you know, interesting uh, form of comedy. Penn and Teller were, re- were regular guests at some points. Mm-hmm. They would just straight up have like George Carlin on there doing stand-up se- segments. Yeah. It does sound like there's, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I mean, because today, I mean, just the way I, I – 
I can't tell you the last time I watched a TV show like regularly. I only watch like YouTube. Uh, I'll watch stuff on, on demand. I'll watch streaming services, mm-hmm. but I could not tell you the last time I was really into a TV show that was only available to be watched on TV. So it only makes sense yeah. that they'd be, you know, going to like a short, like attention span type, you know, uh, soundbite era of comedy. Yeah, yes. that's the thing is like Saturday Night Live. Who watches things live anymore? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean it's. So much easier to watch it at your convenience. Yeah, that that used to be a, a thing, but it's definitely like you know. I mean, that used to be the only way to watch stuff, but um, it's certainly not not necessarily them performing it live, but watching it when it aired used to be the only way to watch stuff. But now it's, I don't know, it's definitely Sad. changed. They just show it to whatever's convenient for you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What do you two think is going to happen as far as the future goes? I mean, do you think this show can survive like the the change in media to being a f- more digital platform? I think there will always be I don't know. I mean, I could see it getting to 50 seasons to do do yeah. about six more seasons and them calling it quits. I don't know what happens when Lauren Michaels decides to retire. I mean, you know, Obviously, in the very early part, like we talked about, uh, you know, in the in 1980 to 85, somebody else took over the show. The show obviously suffered and probably would have disintegrated if not for Eddie Murphy. I think the show dies with Lauren Michaels. That's my that's my guess is that mm-hmm. he holds on for six more years. They get to 50 years. He decides that he's had enough of it. And I think they and, probably uh, Eddie, go away. Eddie Murphy closes the uh, last episode by doing a stand-up routine. That'd that, be perfect. That would be awesome. But yeah, I think that I, would be I mean, that's my guess is they get to 50 seasons and then they're done. I mean, that would that would be great. I mean, to end it, you know, at that point, because it'll eventually peter out one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's in a lot of ways, it's a relic. I mean. Sure, there's like a huge institution of SNL, which is really it. It uh, it has a lot more credit than it's due. I mean, I feel that if you took every sketch that I personally would find funny and put them all in order, you'd probably have two seasons, if that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, it's it's more hit or miss, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I think that there's. I, I think most of the sketch. I mean, I can remember when I used to actually watch it live. I can remember. Mm you know, long stretches of just kind of sitting there and being like, not laughing at all. And then, you know, something would come on towards the late night because that's when they would put on stuff that was probably more to your and my liking, Mike. Yeah, I'd always wait till the uh, the Norm, the Norm McDonald section. Mm-hmm. And often, like, in the last half hour, they'd have some really, like, risk, like risky as far as comedy goes, not necessarily, like, Lou or anything like that. They just have, like, these bizarre sketches, like, oh, you're still around? Hey, try yeah, I think that's when they had the Colonel Angus sketch, uh, yep. also with um, with Christopher, Christopher Walken. Walken. Uh, I think that's when they did uh, Will Ferrell as um, Robert Goulet <laughs> talking yep. about his his new album where he does the rap albums. Coconut Beggar's Ball. <laughs> it's <Yes>. a rap. <laughs> Would you call a clown to fix a leak in a John? So why are you letting these hooligans <laughs> tear down the biz? Yeah, that was uh, something you could not play today. Oh no, no! I mean, he used the he used the N word very liberally because he, he doesn't use it; he emphasizes it. Oh yeah, because he's singing the songs, you know, like uh, <clears throat> the biggest hits from Puffy, 
Biggie. <laughs> How about this one from Cisco? Girl, that dress is so scandalous. I won't sing the second part, but yeah, you um, probably should. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like uh, you know, they they would bury a lot of those towards the end when they were like, okay, you know, all the kids are in bed or whatever. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely more miss than hit. Yeah, which is kind of the nature of a show like this, where you have a bunch of different people with different comedic sensibilities writing a bunch of different sketches. And the only way you really test them is once before a, um, you know, an audience, uh, like an audience before they start taping and you decide what's going to stay and what's going to get cut and everything. And it's just, there's not, there's too many sketches on each show to have funny sketches for each, for each segment. It's just, no, no one can write that many funny things. Right, and then uh, then again, this is a show that's been pronounced dead like many, many times. I yeah. mean, it's been pronounced, you know, every five, you know, years or so, you'll see an article, is SNL dead? And then you're like, oh, wait, no, look, it's not. Here's Dana Carvey. Oh, yeah. no, sorry, Chris Farley's on now. Oh, uh, have you heard of Long Island? Oh, look, here's Kate McKinnon. You know, it's yeah. just, they always, they're just like a feeder, you know, for like movies and stand-up careers and TV shows. I mean, it's... It's really like a almost like a badge of like you know honor to be um, associated with a show in any like tangential way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll always be an SNL cast member wherever you go. I think that they yeah. could probably um, they could probably uh, keep going as long as they found more talented people, which I think they'll always be able to to the show will go into lulls like it like it's always done. But as long as they continue to find those talented performers, I think it could go on virtually forever. I just feel like once once Lauren Michaels decides to retire that it's probably over. But I mean I could be wrong because the show's not expensive. That's the other big thing yeah. about it. Is the reason everybody leaves and goes to movies and things like that is because the show the show doesn't pay great. I mean, you know, for for a perform you know for a performer just starting out and everything, obviously they get paid a good salary. But when you compare it to big hit network shows like yeah, the the neighbor on the worst sitcom is making more than you know the best uh, cast member of SM. Exactly because like you know if you're a recurrent character on a sitcom on a major television network, then you're getting like. Fifty, seventy-five thousand dollars an episode, something like that, and you know the big ones get a, you know the big cast members on the biggest shows get a million dollars an episode, and no one on Saturday Night Live is is touching you know a million dollars an episode, so it's cheap for the network, which is part of why it continues to stay on the air. Yeah, honestly. yeah, that that makes sense. And plus, they've probably had the studio forever. They have. Every type of costuming or set design. I mean, if you want to do a game show, they've done a thousand game shows, so you can yeah. make up a new game show set, you know, and like no one's been. Yeah, exactly. So, so that I mean, that's one of the things that it has in its advantage. I just don't know who takes over to shepherd the show after Lauren Michaels leaves. Now there are old. Cast My guess members. would be Marcy Klein. Yeah. I mean, and there are, there are some old cast members that could too, you know. Like there, I could see I could see different people coming in, but um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I don't know. I could see them going to fifty and stopping. I could see them going on forever. It's like The Simpsons, 
You know what I mean? Like, when do, when does The Simpsons finally stop? That's not yeah. soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that is our show for the week. Um, long one. I might have to... I might have to edit some stuff out because <laughs> we have gone for a while. But um, yeah, that is our show for the week. You can find Nicholas at How Will I Die podcast uh, on Twitter. Your How Will I Die or H W I D pod, correct? H W I D I E P O D. Okay, there you go. H W I D I E P O D. Uh, at that on Twitter and (laughs) Facebook. And do you have an email you want anyone, uh, listeners to write into you? Um, you can check out, uh, I have a website ish on Tumblr, which is sad, but, uh, (laughs) if you want to submit like an idea or, uh, there's a submission box on there. You can go to our GeoCities, uh, website too. (laughs) (laughs) When When does your podcast come out, Nick? Um, right this very second, I am on an every other Thursday release, uh, but soon moving to every Thursday. Sounds right. good. So that's the same day our show comes out. So right after you listen to our show, listen to How Will I Die podcast or listen to that first, but make sure that you come over here too. Um, yes, <laughs> so you can find us at Massive Late Fee on Twitter, Massive Late Fee, every place, Massive Late Fee, Facebook, Massive Late Fee, Gmail. Uh, Mike, I actually, I thought you were joking this entire time, but I actually went to MySpace and looked up, <laughs> looked up MySpace slash Massive Light Fee. We have a MySpace. Yep. I thought it was a joke, That's but Mike wild. actually it's, did go out and make a MySpace account. So it's you, been there for a while still though, friends. So if you want to come over to MySpace for some reason... Then you We're can start the trend. You can uh, friend us over there. You, Mike, you, you got me so good. You wouldn't believe the shock on my face <laughs> when I looked it up and saw that you'd actually made it. Oh, oh. it wasn't taken. So. <laughs> oh my god! So you can find us there, and uh, we want to thank uh, Nicholas Howe for. Being our guest tonight, um, maybe we'll be over on your show at some point if you'll have us. Uh, Absolutely. But uh, you check him out. Uh, and as always, tell a friend. Tell a friend about How Will I Die podcast. Tell, tell a friend about Massive Blade Feed. Tell a friend about our network and go to at MSC Network on Twitter. And you can check out all the shows there. Uh, have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Later. <laughs>